Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Modern Caveman Podcast brought to you by Primal Goods Company. This week on the show, we have Mr. Jesse Jacobs, founder of Samovar Tea in San Francisco, also at samovartea.com. These guys have incredible tea. I'm drinking a glass of their chamomile twist herbal as we speak. Um, you can find Jesse on Instagram at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E. Uh, that's his Instagram handle. That's how you know he's legit. Um, Jesse's a really, really, really cool guy. Uh, he invited Yoni and I up to his home in Northern California, had a chance to walk around his gardens, check out his beehives, watch him grab and hypnotize one of his chickens. Jesse's Jesse's legit. Um, we had a wide-ranging conversation from Ashtanga Yoga to uh, the movement culture uh, under the Ido Portal method, which Jesse recently became involved. Um, we talk about Vipassana retreats, high-quality tea, Waldorf schools, the books that Jesse recommends, his morning routine. He talks to us about the Sattvic hour between 3 and 6 a.m. where he gets a lot of interesting things done. Um, this was a really, really great conversation. Jesse's a really interesting guy, someone that Yoni and I have really looked up to for a long time. Um, if you guys have any comments or feedback for us, feel free to shoot us a note on Instagram, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you guys. And without further ado, enjoy our chat with Jesse Jacobs. Much love. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. Cheers. Welcome. Good to hang with you guys. <laughs> Today, let's see here. This is our first herbal round of tea. And uh, this is called turmeric tonic. It's got turmeric, ginger, cardamom, sarsaparilla root, and a little bit of pineapple. It's a dried herbal tea. And uh, some triple filtered spring water from our well. And we boiled the water, added it to the herbs, caffeine-free herbs. And then I added a little bit of uh, CBD crystals to it as well, a 10 to 1 ratio of CBD to THC that we've been playing around with in the uh, off hours. So we'll see if we start to glaze over, see where the conversation goes. <laughs> yep. Like that. Yep. Let me know. Can you hear me okay? Your ears? Yeah. Yeah. Let me know. So, yeah, thanks for coming. Tea time. Yeah, good. I actually don't know, but there was a cup. There's like a couple behind the sea. It's, it's a, uh, it might be a reverse osmosis. Um, we're on a well and it, it's, it's medium hard. So it has to go through a process. Yeah. 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 Do you treat it though? Like, because I, I think you can. I don't even know if you add salts to it or something like that. Or and then I, I'm, I'm kind of that's why, I, the reason I ask is because I'm going through a, a water sort of renaissance. Yep. Uh huh. I just bought a new filter. Yep. I've been doing all kinds of testing, trying to find out what's in my water. Right. We're made mostly. Oh, of course. No, that's huge. Yeah. No, it's. No, just it's totally scary. Yeah, and you take it in what showers, evaporation in the showers, steam, boiling pasta, rice. I mean everything, right? Not to mention drinks. So. And I was actually going to go for a while having spring water mm -hmm. delivered to my house, 
Oh yeah. What happened with that one was? Well, I mean, first of all, really good water. You could taste it. It was like this is like you could tell. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. Oh. Wow. Wow, which is huge. Okay. You trust him. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. Wow. Right. Drink what he drinks. Yeah. 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 Mm hmm. Sure. Yep. Hmm. Different one than your other one. You were having it dropped off or whatever. That's hardcore. Oh my god. Right, glass is the best, right? That's like. And I guess the thing that is denatures water. Oh. That dark green stuff is the key, like this. Yeah, yeah. You don't want it to be. Wow. Yeah. Right, right, right. Wow, I didn't know that. That kills it. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Right, right. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Huh. Right, 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 right. Interesting. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Near and dear to me because obviously my girlfriend, yeah, um, a teacher, my sister's a teacher right now. Um, and I'm just fascinated by that whole concept. I heard about it from our friend, um, who likes to go to uh, a older school, yeah. Um, so what's the origins? There's so Rudolf Steiner, uh, modern day Renaissance man in the 1920s, um. I believe he ran a cigarette factory of all things called the Waldorf Cigarette Factory. Somehow cigarette smoking wasn't bad back in the day. Um, and innovative man, though, he really created biodynamic farming, which is like organic farming, but much more aligned with the seasonal changes and energetic changes. Kind of out there, some people, but ama produces amazing food. Biodynamic farming. He founded anthroposophic medicine, which is an alternative type of medicine that is practiced in modern day. Um, my family sees an anthroposophic doctor. Under the philosophy of anthroposophy, which is really his philosophy that he built and developed based on his lessons and learnings. And then his school system, education system called Waldorf. Um, and I think it was the education system that they used in the cigarette factory. And so the foundation, as I understand it, in Waldorf school system is that you want to treat the child like a whole human being and that you are raising the child essentially to get them to know themselves versus raising them with an awareness of marketing and the media and mass culture and understanding 
who am I in relation to mass culture versus just who am I and finding out to build up that inner core, to build that strength and strong inner core in, in asking the question, who am I? And understanding that and, and experiencing that. And so fostering an education and a community system that helps build on that in a very natural way, kind of tied in with um, the rhythm of, of life. So in his philosophy, there are seven-year cycles. So from zero to seven is the first cycle. And seven to 14, 14 to 21, 21 to 28, et cetera. And that in these cycles, these specific developmental stages occur. So in zero to seven, for example, um, the child is in a state of, they call it like the spiritual world, fantasy, and um, very much connected to nature. And in this spiritual sense, it's important to support that development. Now, what that would mean would be, for example, um, not introducing them to high academic rigor, not introducing the child to the media, to commercialism, to logical, analytical, scientific, mathematical thinking. All of those things they would begin to introduce in the later stage, age seven to 14. So how does that translate down into like being a parent in a school system? Well, um, you know, daddy, what, where, you know, why is the moon come out at night? Well, the earth rotates and at the dawn of the sun rotates in 24 hour cycles. You would never go down that road of analytical, logical thinking. The moon fairies come out at night and the star fairies sparkle and those are the star beings up in the sky, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's amazing. And so then they come down and maybe they tickle your tooth loose and that's where your tooth fairy comes and takes your tooth that's falling out. And so it's, it's kind of out there in, 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 as a, modern day, you know, we're overexposed to media and science and data. Everything is data and information. It can rub people some, some odd ways at times. And, and at this, on, the, on the other side, be really intriguing. Like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. Tell me more. So it attracts an interesting group of people into this mindset in community and, and education system that this appeals to. It's not that you don't ever learn math or science or reading or writing. You do. But the idea is that in that first seven years, the child isn't capable of of really receiving it and downloading all that to them is forcing them into a developmental stage that's that's sort of uh, preliminary, to, like it's, it's going too fast, and that that actually harms their natural development. Around age seven, they begin to then see the natural, like the spiritual world as sort of fading away and more analytical thinking. And so what does that mean? So, yeah, and so they end up reading and writing like way later, like it's kind of, like, kind of controversial. People are like, oh, like, like so my son is in fifth grade, he, you know, he loves to read and you don't hold them back, but like, you know, um, you know, typical kids these days read in kindergarten, nursery school and people pride themselves like my kid's reading and doing STEM and math. Waldorf is like, oh yeah, my kid's not reading till he's, you know, 11. And that's sort of like the opposite side is like proud of nurturing just their own development, not specifically through academics. Anyway, that you could go on for hours about it, but there is a um, homeopathic medicine approach to it, a scholastic approach, education. And overall, we just... We found it appealing in this day and age of speed and information and data and like my own personal data being mined, right? By all the social media out there, privacy protection and how about how do I just become a whole person and then enter the world and use all the tools that are out there? And so that's kind of the gist on Waldorf. Yeah, I mean that's uh, high level. And you said that they, they spend a lot of time outside, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're closer with nature. Today, right? Totally. Like Part of his school day literally is weeding. Whoa. 
like like not now, but like for like second, third grade, they would go out and weed. And his his school is fortunate. Not every Waldorf school has it, but they have a farm. A lot of them like to have farms. Um, going barefoot, being in the elements is highly like they spend a lot of time outside. They just dress them in warm clothing, a natural fibers as much as possible, and raincoats. And you just splash through the puddles, run through wet leaves, and really just engaging physical sensation. The idea being like to stimulate all of the senses to build this whole person. So it's very um. You know, you sign a contract actually when you enter saying you agree no media. You agree you're not going to wear any branded clothing as much as possible, nothing, nothing synthetic. So it kind of feels like you're going back in time. You're in this community of other cool school kids and parents. No one has any Batman, no Disney, no Nike, no nothing. And instead it's like wool, cotton, beeswax. Like they play with beeswax. It's kind of crazy. It's like takes forever to make it soft. And they call that like a very tactile developmental stage that in order to make this little figurine, you got to melt this thing down and knead it and use all of your faculties, (sighs) breathe on it, knead it to make a little character. And that could be like your entire day at class making some little character. It's kind of out there. Like you pay, you know, you, it is a private school. There are public Waldorfs actually here in uh, in in town. There are a couple of different pub, public Waldorf schools, and there's a little you know set of requirements like public schools, but they follow the Waldorf curriculum, which is pretty awesome. Like it's it's free then. That's great. I mean, it's really interesting because I guess kids now that are young kids are only exposed to this whole media environment. Totally. I mean, if you think about it. And again, it's like, it's our choice not to really include that in our way. It's like, there's this, there's nothing wrong with it per se, but when we enter the world, if we're not conscious about how we are receiving the deluge of uh, marketing, advertising, we just become products, like little consumers, right? Where we're built up and trained to be consumers. And then all of our personal data is mined. So the entities out there know what to send us to consume more of. And there's more to life than that. And it's, um, yeah, so how do I build up my own confidence and understanding of the world and myself without thinking that I'm going to buy this cup to be a better person or these tennis shoes or that toy. And yet the machine out there is definitely geared to like thinking you'll be a better person if you buy this makeup. Yeah. I'm, I guess like one of the last generations who didn't really have a ton of that, even though I guess I did as a child, it was just starting. Mm -hmm. Um, and to now see how in my face it is. Mm -hmm. And if I could go back, I'd probably choose the wall of route. Mm-hmm. Me too. As a parent, that's one of the best things. You feel like you're re-experiencing childhood. Yeah. Parents go in there and I don't th- – I mean you walk in, you're like – you just breathe a sigh of relief like I want to be here. Yeah. That's one of the most awesome parts about it. Yeah. You know, they like no fluorescent lights. They often have candles in the classroom. Crazy. I mean the list goes on. Like they have silks everywhere, very soothing colors. Like everything is about like uh, – no plastics like it's all wood like it would blow your mind like it's wood um wrought iron stuff like they sometimes make wax uh wool there's a whole concept of finger like using all of your um sort of the craft qualities and using your dexterity and so finger knitting is a big thing knitting without needles but actually using your fingers to do the special techniques it's um yeah as an adult you're like holy cow i just want to sign me up yeah nursery school yeah, like a pre nursery. Like there's um what is it called? Uh whatever that is, a mommy and me kind of thing. So, you know, two or three days a week the mothers go in with their kid and then nursery school. What is it called? There's a word. Preschool. Yeah, preschool. Preschool, then nurse then nursery school, then kindergarten. Then. Is it designed to set kids like okay, you know, get into like a regular university? To, oh, totally. So by the time they're like thirteen or fourteen, they're on they've caught up to everyone. So what you see is 
very slow academic development compared to normal school. And by the time they're like 12, 13, totally caught up. And yet, with a, ideally with a more grounded sense of self, not addicted to technology because you're signing a contract saying you're not going to bring in movies. You're not going to give your kid an iPad. You're not going to give them your phone. As a parent, it's more work, right? Like you go out to the restaurants these days and you see like parents just give the kid an iPad. Oh, cool. We can hang out. Right. Like we, now we can talk finally instead of like, ah, ah. and so it's an easy babysitter just to give it to them. And yet the studies are like in again and again of like the cocaine like effects of giving children that stuff. And you're just turning again, like, they, you know, we don't realize, but we're just mining their data. Everything that they click, the entities out there are, you know, it sounds a little conspiracy theory, but now they know this is what my child likes. And this is, you know, the, the data is being mined in a huge way. And our time isn't free in that sense, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. No, I highly, if you ever, I mean, you guys would come up anytime and you can go on a tour there. I'll, I'll take you around. And it's, it's pretty amazing. You, it kind of blows your mind. And we're so used to it. Like everyone we talk to is like, oh, this is, what do you mean you don't know about it? It's cool to talk to someone who's it's new information too. Right. Totally. There's. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, like, they're all just tools, right? And yet they're so addictive. What they say is that, like, the child's brain, there's a reason we don't give them cigarettes and alcohol. They can't turn off the addictive qualities of those, right? It's illegal. But it hasn't yet come there with technology, but it's as or not, if not more addictive. And so the Waldorf side would say, yeah, well, give it to them when they're 15 or 16, and they've built their own resiliency and uh, and then can choose, like, all right, I got to use this for a tool, or I'm going to watch a movie, and then shut it off and go outside or build something or... Totally. I can't imagine. I mean, if it wasn't for that, we'd probably have to homeschool. Otherwise, it's an uphill battle. Like, it'd be tough. Yeah. 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 That's cool. That's that's Waldorf school. Go to school anyway for it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's Yep. Totally. Totally. I mean, you think about it like all the issues we have were created in the first 12 years. And we have what from age 13 to the rest of our life, the next 13 to 90. But the first 12 are so formulative. Like how do you give so much intention to those years? And you know, it's like it's um you look at some parents who just like give their kids an iPad or whatever. It's like, man, it feels like giving their kids cigarettes. It is, you know, it's like not to be judgmental. Like people just don't know, but it's so painful once you're aware of it to see it. Yeah. You know, Marcus now he's into magic. So he, we've been letting him, daddy, can I use an iPad to look at this magic trick? It's like, sure. So we'll do it and I'll kind of oversee it. And like on the side of the screen, there'll be like some picture of like some woman in a bikini, like slapping her ass or whatever. And it's like, holy cow, like where did that come from? And he, he's 11. He's like, oh, what is this? It's like, oh, I'm and it's like, and you like, man, if you leave them alone and they click on it, right, then that opens up a next whole thing. Oh, you like women in bikinis and you're in the Miami party for scene and oh, spring break. Click here. It's like, it's so scary. Right. And so it really is like a Pandora's box. I see is, okay, we can watch that video. All right. Now we're done now. No, I want to watch one. We're done. 
and you see like it's a, this is into so we don't want him to be a total luddite like clearly these are tools i'm on a computer we use our phones for email but you definitely heighten your own awareness and like all right we were talking about putting a box out front like a really nice little like presentation box like friends and whoever come over this is where your phone goes so you're not sitting around the dinner table and like you know you're talking hanging out and someone's just like doing their thing and as soon as one person does someone else does and it's like all right shoes and phone goes in the box come on in I love that. So it's yeah. You know what, dirty. Sh- so why would you want someone's? Yeah. Yeah. They don't know though. Totally. What's so important? That's the thing. Totally. And it's like smoking. First person that busted out, everyone's suddenly smoking, right? So, no, I th- I, I'm a fan of like, how do you create a cultural movement of phone and shoes go by the front door? If you want to smoke, you smoke outside. If you want to use your phone, go for a walk. Like, I think it'd be cool to build like, like, that's fine. You can smoke. Not in the house. Just go for a walk. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, seriously. I think that's awesome. I think, like, so how do we do that as a movement? I think let's put the word out. Like, totally. Yep, totally. Then it's, that's the thing. Yeah, totally. That's Noah's. All right, wait, on that note, I heard my phone vibrate. I'm going to turn it off. Because that's the most annoying thing. Um. There. Stockbroker. But they say, even if you can see it, it's as distracting as like if you were checking it. Doesn't matter. Like, that was something I read. It's okay. No, it's. <laughs> Yeah, it's hilarious. There you go. See, but I literally heard that, like, at a restaurant, if you see someone else's phone on your table, it's as distracting as if our phone is there. So it's like no escape, really, right? That's. That's the thing. I mean, that was why I experimented with a dumb phone. So, Nokia thirty-three ten. What is it? Thirty-six bucks. Let's see. Um, it was amazing. It prompted me to phone people to have dialogues way more often because it was like where I normally would have texted and had a discussion, text, text, text. It's like, I can't deal with that. So we just called. And what I noticed is it shortcut so much texting that would have happened, got straight to the heart, and I could really understand their tone. And I didn't say things or I said things in a way that engaged with their emotional state, which I would not have done if it was texting. You can't do it because you can't infer. Totally. So that was profound and that changed my, I've generally, if it starts to go down, I just call them Mm -hmm. and I FaceTime people a lot more too, which is unusual. Like I'm just going to call to check in with a friend and say, Hey, what's up? And face and say, Hey, what are you doing? And like, ah, just saying hi. So that's one thing. Um, Could not check email or any of that. Mm -hmm. I don't really check the news or social media. So that didn't happen. But email I would check in like, what do they call interstitial moments of like, Oh, I'm waiting for something or, you know, whatever, picking someone up waiting. Yeah. Right. And so not, so it felt very quiet. 
so not checking email felt like, man, I'm hearing less and I'm speaking less in email, less communication. It feels awkward. Like it felt a little uncomfortable. And yet I said, I would then sit down at my computer and be like, all right, focus on email. So it was more single tasking. I think for sure more productive. I could type better, think better, having the email in front versus in the little phone. And then in that moment when I would have been doing email on the phone, I'm just sitting there, focus on my breath, take a moment to look around, be more aware, and just actually noticed I would have my, my notebook, like, oh, I would have little ideas that I would jot down that would not have come up perhaps in the same way if I was doing email in every spare moment. So the hassle of swapping SIM cards was significant, like if I lost it in my car seat or something. And so... This one specifically? Yeah. So the so typical, you know, I have the iPhone, whatever, 9 or whatever, not with a good camera, right? So it's got all the data and got all the, all the stuff in there, right? Use it as a computer, phone, Uber, parking tools and all that. And the idea was um, I heard from a good friend, um, a dumb phone can radically change your life in this day and age of smartphone. So I wanted to go down that line of, you know, experiment and say, all right, how will it change my life? And so you swap out the SIM card from the iPhone. You can put it into a SIM card adapter. That then goes into the Nokia 3310, takes the adapter. Adapter's like three bucks. You put it in and suddenly your phone is accessible. None of your contacts, but you can make calls. So then you're looking at it like, man, this is like an antique. It's going back in time. So you put in the phone numbers you normally call, your top 10 numbers, make them your favorites. You know, it's slow going, right? Sort of T9 mode. And then you scroll through it, look at what's possible. I can text. I can make phone calls. Um, GPS, obviously nothing there. Um, Bluetooth, moderate, really bad quality. Speakerphone, kind of scratchy. But what happens is when you can't use your phone as this communication tool in all its facets, both for receiving information like the news and social media, dispensing information like texting and, um, and email, stuff gets quiet. And you go out in the world and you have this phone that I can make a call with. And I can certainly text you five minutes late. That's about it. And I feel so, so that's, there's this long moments, hours of your day when you're doing stuff, when you're not engaging in consuming information or dispensing it. And it's, it's uncomfortable, that feeling of quiet, of space, totally getting bored. And that's for me, like anytime something is uncomfortable, my personal philosophy is like, therefore I should explore it further. Like what, what's uncomfortable here? And for me, it was the realization, like that sense of space in time and boredom. Wow, that that is actually discomfort. And with that, then what is possible in that space? And I think it's sort of like the idea, what hit me was like, oh, the idea of an empty teacup has potential for tea or coffee or peanuts or chocolate. When it's full and overflowing, nothing can go in. So as my day is full and overflowing, constantly full of consuming and dispensing information and ideas and content, there's no room. And instead operating with the idea of just space, like I'm going to finish this meal, 20% empty. I'm going to leave my bookshelf, 20% empty for new books. I'm going to leave my teacup empty for putting in something new. Is it green tea? Is it black tea? There's this potential sort of uh, potential energy that is exciting. And I think very rewarding and ultimately more fulfilling than the discomfort of constant filling it up. And so that just became a practice. So the cell phone... Ultimately, I went back to the other phone because it was just inconvenient swapping the SIM card and I didn't want to lose it. Um, but it prompted in me the need or desire, habit to call people, video call them, and really make an effort not to just check 
like that itch of checking news, email, anything is, is what I recognize. And yeah, as you know, it's uh, with a light touch. Like sometimes of course I've got to send an email in the middle of the day, you know, running a business. So that's reality. But do I really need to check in at seven o'clock at night and find out blah, 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 what the latest is? Probably not. And in pushing that aside and instead embracing the discomfort and creating those sense of emptiness and space moments. I find it nourishing. Yeah. And recommend it for everyone. Yeah. Embracing the discomfort. I love that. Totally. I think that's what we've been talking about a lot lately. It's finding the, the pained areas and going towards mm-hmm. those. Like mm-hmm. When you were talking about, when you told me about your Vipassana retreat, mm-hmm. that to me seems like the scariest, most painful. I mean, there are <laughs> things that you could do to me that would be more uncomfortable than that. Why is that? I don't know. It just scares the shit out of me. I mean, 10 days. Which, what's scary? Which part? Um... But like, is it the physical that is like, oh, just sitting still? Is it the fact that you can't write in a journal? Vipassana retreat. So there are different types of Vipassana means insight. So there are, um, I think there are several different types of insight meditation schools. This was the Goenka style that I did. Um, I like this one for, I guess, two main reasons. One, it's free donation-based. So pay what you can um, or nothing if you can't afford it. For me, that just has a lot of credibility. And two, everything is stripped away. So they give you everything you need to have food, shelter, warmth, and physical comfort. You get meals, you get a bed, get dry place. Meditation hall is heated and they strip away everything else. The need to decide uh, where's a vitamin C tablet? Where's the nail clipper? What time is lunch? All that stuff is, is defined for you. Everywhere you go is a clock and a schedule. Exactly what time is it and where do you need to be? Um, everywhere you go is a little box full of Q-tips, nail clippers, vitamin C tablets, and throat, throat medicine with labels on everything. There's no need to ask anyone for anything. It's 10 days, 10 hours a day, you're sitting meditation, and... Um, Everything's taken care of. The only thing you got to do is work on yourself. Um, there is a process, which is beautiful. It's a very simple process. There's no chanting. There's no woo-woo nothing. There's no consuming any plant medicines. It's just all stripped away to simply sit there and feel the physical sensation of one's body. The idea is that um, in this feeling, this itch that's going across my nose, the tingling in my little finger, the cramping of my shoulders. That's the only way that we can become truly present. Feeling pain or feeling bliss. And, and actually, there are good feelings that come up as well. And so in feeling those things and not reacting, not scratching the itch, not stretching my leg, it becomes very focused and present in um, the misery of it, all-consuming. And through the practice, the Vipassana technique that is provided to you with, with training, you what, what one experiences is, wow, it passes. And that misery and pain is gone. It's first all-encompassing. All I can see is red fire, and I got to get the heck out of here. And then suddenly, it's gone. I was like, wow, was I just suffering in some crazy painful position? I have no idea. And the practice is just like the boot camp or training ground for 
not hanging on to and identifying with that physical sensation. It comes and it goes. And, and they refer to the, so how you label it as anicha. And the, um, this guy Goenka kind of labels it in this sort of deep, profound voice. And he just basically says, the good, the bad, just anicha, anicha. And it just means it's passing. Today's an awesome day. Things are going my way, blah, blah. It will pass. Oh my God, it's horrible. All this stuff happened. Fender bender, work, blah, blah. It will pass. This itch is driving me crazy. My eye, my eyelash is stuck. I can't get my eyelid open. Oh my God, I got to scratch my eyeball. Nope, don't touch it. It will pass. And what happens is it totally does. And it blows your mind. And probably day, you know, five or six, when it feels like you're losing your mind, you can't take anymore. It's um, for me anyway, like the clouds kind of parted. And it's like, wow. Yeah, this is uncomfortable. My leg is cramped. And now it's not. Now it feels amazing. Now it feels like I'm sitting in a hot tub. Holy cow. I feel like I'm floating on clouds and I'm having the most crazy psychedelic experience here with no nothing taken. And now I'm back to thinking about bills and whatever, my, my cat and got to empty the cat letter. And then it just comes and goes. And it's the ability to just see this stuff and not get attached to it is so powerful. And, um, and, you know, and it realizes, I, I realize sort of as these things come and go, how much of a slave we are to just fear and desire. And once you kind of begin this path of, of seeing things, witnessing it, you can see the fear come up and the, and the desire and the cravings, but not necessarily be consumed by it. And it's very powerful not to, um, not to be a slave to things we fear and things we desire. And, and yet, you know, this sort of main print principle of, of Buddhism is life is miserable because we're slaves to fear and craving. And we just go between the two. And yet, if we can get off that loop, there's a possibility of equanimity. And that's actually the desirable state. And it's only through the training ground of sitting there and watching it come and go and detaching that we can approach that equanimity, which is really... Um, people often think equanimity is calm or peaceful, but it's calm in a, in a state of a storm. So it's actually not just feeling calm and chill. It's when the crap arises that you can maintain that. And um, I'm by no means an expert. It's like, it's just practice, but it boils it down to such a simple model that you just sit there and yeah, you do the retreat, but that's like going to the dentist once a year. You got to brush your teeth every day. And so you have to practice meditation every day. And that's the ideal. You know, I don't, you know, it's like when I can, I do, but it's like, Hey, dental hygiene is important. Got to do a little bit every day. You got to floss. You got to. Buddhist. Well, I would say it's human. It, it's a Buddhist perspective. They say like the, the first, no, I think it's the first noble truth. Mm -hmm. Life is suffering. Yep. And there ain't no way a, Nothing else to say about it. And it's suffering because we're enslaved by fear and desire. Boom, boom. And like you wake up in the morning and like, oh, I don't want to do that because of that. Because I'm I, what, what is it? I don't want to do meditation because I'm afraid. Like that's a motivating energy. And, or, oh, I want to do that because that's aspirational. I want to look like that or feel like that. And that's a desire. And so what happens if we're not motivated by fear? Like, what is it that motivates us? It's a good question. And in, in those spaces, we can begin to explore that. Like, wow, what if like, oh, I want my kid to go to a good school. Well, why? Well, because I don't want to be whatever, homeless and destitute. Well, why? And 
and it's just kind of cause for reflection. And, you know, not necessarily a right answer, but the way out. So the first noble truth is life is suffering, fear and aversion. The second is there is a way out. Got to meditate, basically. That's, the path is is this meditation path. And so, um, yeah, it sucks. But then, hey, here's a solution. Here you go. And it's so, I mean, they boil it down in this program so simply. And I've done a lot of different types of meditation and retreats and different things. And a lot of them, you know, get into chanting and breathing and all amazing stuff with crazy traditions behind it. But this one was beautiful because it's so austere. There's just no escape. There's nothing to memorize or remember. It's like you show up day one and left, right, and center, you are signing contracts and stating verbal oaths of the noble silence, basically saying, I commit to the fact that I'm going to stick it out 10 days. Um, I have no psychotic breaks that I know of that are coming down the pipeline. Um, here is my phone. Here's my keys. Here's my wallet. They zip it up in a little bag. You ask them, well, where is it going? It'll be safe. We're locking it up. In like some far off house, you're like, okay. So every day you wake up at four o'clock, uh, first meditation is like 4.30 to 6.30. And you do that either alone in your room or in the main meditation hall, your choice. And then there's a little break. And then there's like the morning meditation, little break. And all day long, like you basically cannot journal, you cannot read, you cannot write, you cannot jog, you cannot do yoga, no working out. Um, and there's almost no time for it. Like you are so beat by the end of the day that um, you just go to bed. Like uh, there's a talk at night after the last meditation where it's a video of him talking about oh, it's day number three. Here's what you might be going through. And pretty much he calls it out. He's like, how the hell did he know that I, I'm thinking of like, this is just miserable pain. I want to run out of here. He's like, you might be wanting to run out of here. It's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, like day six, he's like, you might be saying, I can't sleep at night. I'm so agitated. It's okay. He says, it's okay. you actually don't need to sleep. You can totally meditate and get the same rejuvenation if you meditate all night as you would if you slept. And it totally happened. I, I, I couldn't, I was very anxious, like, oh, my roommates are going to snore and there's no dinner. I'm going to go to bed hungry. And I had all this stuff, you know, I'm going to have a sore. I can't stretch. And I would go to bed at, you know, nine o'clock pretty much. And you're like sleeping by 9.15. You just, several nights into it, I'm like, I literally was up to like three in the morning, slept one hour and just, you know, First night, freaking out, like, I'm going to be miserable tomorrow. I'm going to be sitting there sleeping all day long, nodding off. And um, I just did what he said. I just meditated laying there, you know, scanning your body in this Vipassana technique. And um, one hour of sleep, I was like, that's crazy. I feel like I slept, and I know I didn't, but I am totally jazzed and ready to go. And it worked. It was like several nights like that. So he calls it out and kind of gives you a little guidance every night. And... Um, Amazing though, like it's just I I can't recommend it enough and yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's the uh, the obstacle that I have to. Yeah, so I'm curious. What's which part is the scariest? Like when you visualize yourself, okay, four o'clock, four thirty, or two hours sitting there meditate. Like, what's the hard part? You know what? I, I just sitting on the ground is very uncomfortable for me. Yep. Very, you get a cushion. I mean, I'm gonna need like five or six. So. The thing is, there are people, there was a guy there next to me, older guy of 70 or something with like some scoliosis. He had this crazy cushion set up. He was all propped over. Like you don't have to sit like samurai style. Okay. They, like when we did our, uh, during ceremonies when we were down in Peru, mm-hmm. I mean, even when we did like a 30 minute meditation before, I'd be sitting there cross-legged. Like, right. Oh shit. I gotta get, like that's the only, but my mind is in that suffering. It's gonna be miserable. But like there was a technique I learned, like you sit like this, like with your legs crossed, but I put two pillows under each knee. And then your hips can relax, and it totally supports them. 
you get all the like it takes two or three days and then you get the right the right setup and you're like oh, okay i'm good to go i'm ready and you just you get it and it's not comfortable but it's not hell and so like they totally support if you need a chair sit in a chair no laying down no sleeping that's the only yeah <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what happens is like, okay, so tell me if I'm wrong, but those, the reasons you're not doing is because of fear, money, hips, something else. Relationship, right. So who would you be without those fears? And how else do those fears show up in your life? You, there's no other, you see it and that blows your mind. And I would say like the, the, you know, you would come back a different person and although she might miss you for 10 days, she'd have you for the next, you know, 13,000 or whatever. And a slightly changed Yoni, like it's, um, yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Hmm. Yep. I mean, you're you're matured. You have a one degree change. I'm sure. You know, through our experiences. Right. Right. Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's. I find it's easy to think to to spend more time and energy on things, thinking if we invest more, we'll get more. Vipassana is weird because it doesn't take anything other than your time. Like like. You don't have to fly anywhere. You know, it's like they have centers all over the place. It doesn't cost really anything. But it's so like it's so easy to put everyone I know as even me. I was like, no way. My wife was gonna do it originally. And I was like, I'll do it. I I couldn't sit that long. I can't eat only one meal a day, two meals, whatever. And she's like, I think I would benefit more if you did it. And when I thought through all the fears that you guys both just said, I was like, okay, therefore, that's why I have to do it. That's like, okay, I can't, you know, it's like, there's no escape now. Like, you know, you guys will do it because clearly, like, because you're explorers. Well, you, I feel like everyone, if you see these experiences across the board, I mean, you're you're Jesse. (laughs) Whatever that means. (laughs) Uh, uh, That's hilarious. You're you're a pretty deep guy. You have a pretty, you've explored yourself and you have a pretty, I, I think a, a deep, a more deep understanding of life and reality than 
99% of the people that I'm interacting with. Hmm. Hmm. Um, do you think that you were able to identify those things in your experiences? I mean, obviously, you don't want to be like, oh, yeah, I'm, uh, of course. But- no, it's, it's all relative. I guess I just see it as like just it's scratching the surface of like, who am I? Right? Why am I a, like I have a freaked out about stuff and totally like I and I would say like day one in Vipassana. This is probably one of the biggest bells that hit me that I recall. I'm sitting there, you know, I like fitness and eating healthy and clean and getting good calories and you know like shaping my life and my physical regiment and all that around me. And so I'm sitting there eating an amazing healthy lunch, some like tempeh vegan stew. It's all vegan, but like just delicious. And I'm knowing, okay, this is the last meal. There's no dinner. And I pile up my food. I'm sitting there five bites in. Okay, I'm basically full. And you can't talk to anyone. You can't look at anyone. So you just sit there looking at your plate of food. Huh. Why did I take this plate of food? And I'm like beating myself up. Like, God, that's so wasteful. Well, I got to finish it now or it's more wasteful. You know, you're going through this mental dialogue. Is it more wasteful to throw it away? And then I'm embarrassing people people throw throw it away. Or is it more wasteful to consume something when you don't need it? And I'm sitting there like struggling, like this is all consuming question. What is more wasteful? What do I do with this? And um, and then I was just like, well, first, let's just take a look at why did I do it? Well, because I don't want to be hungry. Okay. Because there's no dinner. I I, I can't, I don't want to go to bed hungry. And that was like, wow, I took too much food right now because I'm afraid of insufficient quantity of food for dinner. Huh. And it just hit me. It's like, holy shit, I buy groceries like that. Like, I eat food. My, my, I would load up when I was a kid, like, piles a plate of pasta. And it's like, what happens if I don't have that fear to motivate me to eat lunch, to eat dinner? And instead, I'm going to have like one small portion and, and, and intentionally be a little hungry. That discomfort and that fear. And what happens if, that, if I don't operate with that fear as my fuel? And that was just the question. It's like, okay, gentle touch, right? Try not to beat yourself up. And just look at like, what can replace that fear? Love. Okay. That's kind of a cliche answer. I don't know. What does it look like to be fueled by love when I eat? I don't know. Explore that. But I do know that it feels weird not to have fear be the motivator. And then it shows up in so many other places. Like, holy cow, fear is just driving me in so many areas. And I, and I look around me and it's like fear drives the world. It just, it's fear is contagious. It's like, it's adrenaline. Movies are fear. So like I came out of that and realize, oh, I love watching violent movies and action films and I'm kind of relaxing. And um, it's like, that's weird. What is it about those like fear-based movies that is relaxing? It's actually endorphins and like adrenaline and that becomes addictive. Well, what if you pull that away? It's uncomfortable. Huh. Well, what happens if we stop energizing and, and fueling everyone with that fear? So again, just a weird open question and a sense of like discomfort and awkward state, like against the grain. Um, yeah. I remember you telling me too that you didn't need you realize how much food you didn't. Totally. I mean, I was like, okay, here I am, and I'm actually fine on one meal a day. A little oatmeal in the morning, but like the main meal is like a salad and whatever. It's always, I'm not vegetarian, but there it was vegetarian for lunch. And by the end of it, I was not eating dinner. I, I lost like three pounds, which is like nothing, right? Like down to like a meal and a half, a vegan meal a day. It's we. I don't know how it happened. I mean, honestly, it was. I was really afraid of losing calories and nutrition and whatever. You don't want to. You know, it's like oh, I don't want to just waste away and like look like I was like right. And I was like, well, but then it was like, oh, why? Why don't I want to waste away? What is that fear? Oh, fear of being too thin and weak. Okay, and then what? What if I'm? And so it's like just a 
crazy thing to begin going down these um, areas of what motivates and a freeing experience to be like, all right, sure. I want to be healthy and vibrant. Who doesn't? But not to be motivated by fear instead, like just to like, all right, well, how do I be as even keel in light of stress and, and turmoil and as a practice? Like it's like a constant practice, right? And it's constantly falling off the horse. And, but it's, but it's amazing to have that as a foundation to go back to. And I think that's the purpose. Like without a question, I have never been able to sit and meditate for more than 10 minutes without moving. And after that program, like an hour is like no, no, no walking in a park. Easy, easy. Wow. Yeah. Like they burn it into you. There is no escape and you emerge like, Oh, I, I can do it. Like, yeah. You feel it. Oh, I mean, usually the sessions, there are two hours. And so an hour feels like, oh, I, I guess that was good. You know, I, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like just like a handstand though, right? Once you start doing it, like, oh, okay. A three second handstand in the middle of the room, nothing. Yeah. Totally the same. And, yeah. That's very true. Well, what if you didn't set your timer? And uh, <laughs> then you freak out. I know. Yeah, totally. It's... And then I heard something one time that said that everyone should sit for at least 10 or 20 minutes a day. And if mm-hmm. you don't have 10 minutes a day, you should sit Oh, that's awesome. Like, every morning, even now, I'm you know, like, kind of rushing or getting up a little late. I'm like, oh, it's already, you know, almost six or whatever. I get up early, I have like morning routine. Yep. I'm like, you can get five minutes. Yep. Sit down for five minutes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. Seven right, right, right. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Ten hours a day, or in it. Okay, sure. Yeah. Okay, right. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Relative. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Yeah. That's the most frustrating part. Just the warm up. You're doing tennis balls and waves, and you're like, okay, now a little strength. And it's like, wait a second. Yeah. I know. I know. It really is. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. Okay. Talk about good tea. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Nice. Yeah, sure. But this is just a certain level of not. Yeah. Sure. Energize it. Yeah, energetically. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, the world is mostly fueled by coffee, right? It's all the big coffee companies out there and coffee's addictive qualities coupled with like the high calories that coffee is, right? Most people drink Frappuccinos or 
lattes. And so in a world dominated by coffee and coffee energy, which is high energy to the degree of like, you know, jitters and frenetic, right? Um, and yet tea has this ancient tradition and the origin of tea started with mindfulness and meditation. So monks um, using tea, you know, in Japan and in sort of Zen Buddhism and whatnot with Japanese green tea, which has a very high qual uh, component of L-theanine. And L-theanine, unlike caffeine, creates focused alert quality, which they actually now have distilled it into supplements, right? L-theanine supplements. But yeah, exactly. So that's rooted in mindfulness and meditation. So while coffee, you could say, is an energy drink, I believe tea is like focused and effectiveness drink. I got to drive all night? Sure. Having a coffee? Great. I want to create the next innovative business plan or product line or marketing. I don't want to be jittery. I don't want to be agitated. I want to be focused and clear-headed and energized. And so I think for me, tea is exciting and that it provides that. So it's hydrating. It's got all these um, micronutrients. And then it really has this quality of like focused and alertness with being relaxed. I mean, I would much rather be relaxed than energized, you know, provided both. Relaxed is where you want to be in that state of flow, right? That's, that's, that's optimal. And so for me, that's where tea is exciting. And that that being one part, the other being the meditative qualities that tea is rooted in. Um, in China, the Gong Fu tea ceremony is very much about producing beautiful tea, connecting with the other person, being present. And in Japan, Chado is the way of tea, is one of the, is, it's like a form of Zen, a pathway to enlightenment and making the perfect bowl of tea in a Japanese style with matcha and whatnot. So I've been intrigued with tea, founded Samovar as an alternative to coffee and alcohol culture out there, which is really like, there's a coffee alcohol loop, right? You, you relax with a drink or two at night, and then you got to wake up in the morning and, and go to a job you hate and get caffeine jacked with three lattes. And then you're so wired, you can't fall asleep at night, so you need a couple drinks to chill out and connect with your friends. And, and there you go, you're stuck on the cycle. And so I saw that as a reality out in the corporate world where I was working in you know, late 90s, early 2000s, and took a step back. I had spent time during college in Scandinavia and in Denmark and also in Japan, both of which have pretty strong tea cultures. And I'm here in corporate America saying, hey, you know what? Maybe there's a difference out there. Maybe there's an opportunity to do something of value, to do something interesting in tea because there is nothing out there, and do it in San Francisco. And so that was, um, yeah, opened a, essentially a tea lounge in SF and have continued to open locations throughout the city, evolve the brand as it goes, and try to also build out really like a omni-channel business that has retail brick and mortar as a great experiential, um, sticky experience. And then offshoots that also have scalability and opportunities for growth in new product lines, like maybe cannabis tea or ready-to-drink drinks, or as well as um, you know supplying hospitality. We supply hotels and restaurants and coffee shops all over the world. And so, you know, starting and focused and small, where we can really own the experience, cocoon your senses, blow your mind in tea in a way you haven't seen, and then say, hey, let us serve you back home in Minnesota or at your local coffee shop. We'll supply them. And, uh, you know, and try to go slowly and with quality and sourcing the best quality organic teas we can find and working with sustainable farmers and farming practices all over the world. And so, yeah, that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm Yeah, so 
I would say as a physical location, the idea was to really uh, create a sanctuary, right? The outside world is so full of noise and EMFs and stress and, you know, barrage of information and recognizing that and wanting to create really like a, a moment of pause. So it's allowing you to come in and in only five minutes in and out to create a space for you to stop and smell the chai, hear the music, smile at the person working there and take a drink and go on your way. And so really looking like customer by customer, how do we make the world a better place and connecting with this one person, hydrating them. And, um, and if we do that, they may bring a friend. So really the retail space being the sanctuary, um, we're not Luddites, you know, people are on their phones or whatever, but trying to have it so attended to in terms of touching every sense. So the playlist we have designed is very specific to the time of day and the location. The um, the aroma, the actual chai recipe was designed with aroma in mind, not just flavor, but how do we want the sensory experience of smell to to provide this customer an experience? Like what is, is it more energizing? Is it more soothing? Um Tactile. So all of the materials in all the cafes were designed with the intention of when you touch this, what will you feel unconsciously? Can it be natural environments? Is it smooth? Is it warm? Does the coolness of the stone match the heat of the cinnamon aroma coming through, which matches the vibe of Miles Davis coming at 11 a.m.? Something like that. That's exactly what's going on. <laughs> so it's like the inside secret weapon, right? Yeah, so like you shouldn't know it, right? You're not an expert in you know experiential design or anything. But I took a step back and said, okay, smell. What do, what will they smell when? What will they see? What will they hear? And when someone walks in, it should just feel like, oh man, this is awesome. I don't know what it was, but I got to go back for more. And if I can't, I want to take it with me. Yeah, so that was you know, so it's been amazing to design that with like, all right, brick and mortar is expensive. If you're gonna put a stone in. It's going to be thousands of dollars. You don't want to have to just cut it out. Like, so like it's definitely lessons learned in, in um, what not to do, you know, and how do you work with all the players involved in an expensive city with real estate and contractors and still creating an experience, you know, and so many pitfalls and, you know, things I wouldn't do again. You know, I don't know what is a mistake. I guess if you do it twice, maybe, but, um, you know, we closed some stores over the years as we evolved the brand and a location didn't work out or a building or you know, maybe the business model wasn't effective. It was payroll was too high. So trying to really just be open to the market and also lead and innovate and see if something works. Hey, you know, we launched a new product, Nitro Tea recently, totally knocked it out of the park. People were going crazy for it. It's amazing. Like um, it's basically tea infused with nitrogen gas. So no calories, no dairy, no sugar. And the flavor is like mind blowing, refreshing, super hydrating micronutrients from the tea. But like, it's kind of like a, a Guinness in terms of texture, but hibiscus in lemongrass, for example, in a green tea or, or a herbal tea, really cool stuff. You know, so really being open to both market trends and um, the tea industry and customers and just talking, and then also being open to like, hey, this tactic didn't work. We got to shut that thing down and close that store. It's not working. Do something else. Like being open to like making those kind of radical changes is, has been part of the journey for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, the experience, when, every time I'm when I walk in, in that, the idea of a sanctuary, especially, I noticed that on Fillmore. Totally. Traffic and retail, yep. And you pop in this, this level of stillness, that chai hits you right away. That's cool, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, a, it's really, a, it's a great experience. What's your, what's your favorite tea? 
favorite tea? Let's see. Lately, uh, it's been the uh, probably turmeric golden milk. So we would cook it with uh, milk, whole milk, raw cane sugar, turmeric, ginger, and a cardamom. And it's based on the Ayurvedic drink called uh, kashaya, which is like this. Um, it's like a traditional Ayurvedic drink with turmeric and milk. And it's supposed to be very um, like adaptogenic, pretty much good for everyone, good for digestion, gives you energy, gives you relaxation. And you know, traditional Ayurvedic holistic healing modality has always been interesting and obviously rooted in tea culture and, um, and natural living. So I thought, hey, how do we take what's old and make it new? So we take this ancient sort of elixir, uh, milk and turmeric and ginger and whatnot, and then make it a little more contemporary. And so I find it, yeah, it kind of fits the bill for that energizing and relaxing, no caffeine. Yeah. Um, that's a popular one, yeah. How did you get, how did you get on this? this path i mean you you know you're with yoga and tea and meditation and going to vipassana mm-hmm. like all these things that are i mean they seem to be there it's not the easiest you know path that everyone takes mm-hmm. but it seems to be more pure and fulfilling mm-hmm. because i see myself in this direction as well mm-hmm. yeah i would say let's see well i guess the first thing is sort of to recognize that I don't know what I don't know. And so I think that's, and I'm sure you guys have friends who are like, oh, people who just know it all. They got all the answers. There is no question. And I think there comes at a point, maybe after, you know, you're 18, 25 or whatever, where you're like, actually, I know nothing. Hopefully that comes at some point, you know, and it's like, all right, how do I just bow down and listen, right? So go into that receptive mode. Um, and when I read, um, what book is it? It's the Thich Nhat Hong book, Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese the Miracle of Mindfulness. Someone gave it to me. I was in my 20s. Miracle of Mindfulness by Thich Nhat Hanh. Very basic. Blew my mind to an alternate reality of awareness. Up until that time, I was just like an operating machine. You know, wake up, go to sleep, fear, desire. And that woke me up to like, whoa, I can witness something and not be consumed by it. I would say that was like a first step in that. And then beginning interest, like many people in Eastern philosophies and yoga and different things. And um, I had read some point, though, of like the concept of um, of duty and, and had studied with different people and sort of this theme of like, what is one's duty and, and purpose in life, right? And what is the meaning of it and all? And that kind of resonated with me. And I thought about that as like a good question. Like, okay, why am I here? Is it to make money or have kids or build a company or travel the world? I don't know the answer. Like the part of it is like, how do I find out on this path? Which is pretty linear. We're born and then we die. And it, you know, it can feel unlimited along the way, but we all know people who have passed away. And it's like at this point in our life, it's like, all right, so how do I live with fulfillment and not be motivated by fear and find out like why am I here? Like asking that question. And so it's a sort of an interesting process in like the Side sort of side tangent. There's a story that was relayed to me that kind of um, helps describe this concept. So the uh, the uh, Bhagavad Gita, this classic Indian text, um, and I could hit this wrong, but this was my recollection of how it went down. In this class I took, there was a interpretation of um, Arjuna, which is this warrior guy, and he was born and bred to be a warrior. And the whole book is a massive epic story, but he basically this one class was about interpreting this one small sliver of the book where this warrior is about to fire his arrow. And when he shoots the arrow, it's going to release torrents of war for like all civilization for hundreds of years. 
And he's basically, he's this one guy, he's the good guy. He's about to fight his evil cousins who are taking over the world. And he's like suffering because he's like, ah, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't want to shoot this arrow. It's going to release war and unknown misery. And his advisor, who's like this holy man and enlightened being, Krishna, you've probably heard of the name, is whispering in his ear like, hey, what's up? You're not going to, this is what you got to do. Shoot the arrow. Go, go. No, I can't do it. And so there's this interpretation of this disagreement and dialogue between the two of them. Do I shoot the arrow or do I not? And you can make the case. No, you're going to cause misery and pain by shooting the arrow. But Krishna is basically saying, you have to shoot the arrow. Your only existence is as a warrior. You are built and bred to be a warrior. You can do nothing else in your life other than be a warrior. You have to begin this war because that is your destiny. And that is your only way to wake up, to be a realized being. And you will cause more suffering if you don't. No, I can't do it. And so they're kind of like having this philosophical disagreement. Um, the idea of like, you, you must do your duty. What you were designed for is the core concept. And so that is the question. It's like, all right, why am I here? What is my duty? And then it becomes a question like, well, okay, good question. How do I know that answer? How do I find out? And there's a very specific methodology then, the prescription. I was like, oh, well, actually, if you want to know what your duty is, what you're here to do, you have to follow these steps. And they include living a life where you can see clearer. They call it yogic sight. Because if you have yogic sight, it's the equivalent of like sort of ESP and like truly clairvoyant, clear, clear seeing where you're like obscured by nothing. You become so pure in your actions, you know, this is exactly what you need to do. He needed, he had to pull the arrow because he was a warrior. There was no other way. And then there's all these really interesting translations, interpretations of it where he represents good. The cousins represent evil. They were like, I don't know, 333 cousins or something like that against him, one which is interesting, right? Like your good tendencies and your unwholesome tendencies always have like more bad habits than good ones. So they, they interpreted it as our own inner tendencies. So within us, we are always fighting this war. The one, the one wholesome thing I should do versus like the 333, like lazy, greasy food, unwholesome things I should do. And so the whole book is like kind of psychedelic in that sense, right? Where it's like very internal actually it's a story but it takes place internally so how do you fight this internal war and understand what is my duty here and that being the question you need yogic sight to see clearly that if you see clearly you will know your duty without question okay how do i get yogic sight you have to live a wholesome life okay what does that mean you have to do things that allow you to see clearly what does that mean meditate I mean, th there's a very pr clear prescription. Meditate, do yoga, don't eat meat, don't eat spicy food, don't eat garlic, don't eat onions, don't eat alcohol, don't eat caffeine. All of these things, if you think about it, are stimulants. And anything that stimulates, like anything that is a stimulant is actually a preventer from seeing clear. When you're all jacked up and wired, like you're wired. When you're like on drunk, you're, you're like, so everyone, so what it made me realize is life is full of putting up these layers and filters of things to keep from seeing and feeling clearly and feeling even being the bigger one, like, you know, remove the analytical thinking and how do we feel more and that being the question. And so, yes, I eat garlic. We had a burger, I have a beer. So there's a reality of living in the world, but it's like that concept that I see as like right livelihood of like, okay, if I'm going to have a burger, how do I have it to be the cleanest and how do I not do it often? Do I really need a beer? 
Or am I just thirsty and can sparkling water do it? No, I want a beer. So like there's a gentleness, I think, but I'm very, after having kind of studied this and been aware of this approach, I'm very aware of like, wow, being in the food industry, food is getting spicier and spicier. Really? Totally. Spicier, saltier, more sour, more sweet. 10 years ago, you look at like foods and restaurants and like, think about it. Every restaurant you go to now has a bottle of house-made hot sauce. That was not the case. It's random. At a burger place, why would you have hot sauce? Hot sauce and, you know, Mexican food, whatever. But like everywhere you go is hot sauce because people's taste buds are numb. And hot sauce is getting spicier and spicier. In Korea, I have a book on food science. They talk about kimchi, this fermented sour in Korea. It's like doubled in spice level like every year for the past 10 years. Some crazy thing. Might be a little off, but like it's going up logarithmically because people become numb to the spice. So if you think about that in how we live our life, we take in overconsumption like we're talking, more spicy, more sweet, more sour, more salty, more alcohol, more caffeine, more media. We're just piling shit up and feeling less, which is good for the machine. Hey, buy some more hot sauce, buy some more junk, read my news because you feel miserable. Buy this one. You may feel better. And all we're doing is going faster and faster and faster, piling the crap on, getting further and further away from yogic sight, from seeing and feeling clearly. And the, actually, the, the funny thing is the easiest way out is just by removal. It costs nothing. Just do less, consume less, eat less, spicy, less garlic, less meat, less media, less sugar, less salt. And what happens is it begin to feel more and actually see clearer. It works. There's like, I've experienced it. And I think that's like the superpower, secret weapon. Like the more we can get closer to doing things that allow us to navigate by feel, the, the better. Like if I connect with you feeling ways versus like two guys intellectualizing something, it's so much deeper. And then I can actually read where you're at, connect with you in a way that has meaning and supports you as another human instead of like just operating on the superficial level, um, which is I could say, yeah, it's more uncomfortable, but it's way more gratifying as well. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, like we've been saying, gravitating towards the discomfort. Yeah. It pays off. Totally. Like it's, I wouldn't do it if it didn't feel good in the big picture. Like the payoff is there. Um, but it's a weird path for sure. And it's, um, it's fascinating, you know, especially to be in business. Like I've got to pay, I'm not a monk in the woods. Can't like not, you know, we have to pay bills and pay people and vendors and yeah, like, okay, I find meat nourishing and I try to do it mindfully. But I'm also very aware of like the the um, filters that all of those things cause and, and put me one further and further steps away from feeling and seeing clearly. And so I go through phases like kind of like doing and eating more or less like that or like going super clean for a couple of weeks and having it as a baseline for sure is, is helpful though. Wow. You, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, Desi, so we, we know you from movement practice. Yep. Oh, that's a very interesting question. All right, let me boil the water. One second. What are we drinking here? This is a sencha. It's a Japanese green tea, steamed, first flush early in the spring after the long, cold winter. Tea shoots open up, they pick them and uh, allow them to wither in the sun and then steam them and then seal in that green flavor 
by uh, heating it a little bit and then curing the tea. And so Sen Cha is like a green tea. Cha is tea. And this tea is known as to have very high L-theanine, so that focused, alert, relaxation quality. A little bit of caffeine. And uh, if you smell it, actually you can also decant this one here. It has a really unique quality of like um, hay or freshly cut grass or even they say umami, which has like that kind of savory seaweed quality. And you can see here, you can kind of nice and fresh and uplifting. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's good. Totally. It's very clean, super refreshing. Um, slow extraction pulls out the flavor and like a, makes it very complex and nuanced. Um, yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's very savory. It has almost like a rounded quality to it. Like you'll notice when you taste this one, it has like a creamy rounded ability to um, have a unique texture. So in tea tasting, the body is one of the things you look for. And then a side note, just sort of tea tip 101. Organic tea is one of the most important things for tea because when they process tea, you know, they spray pesticides on it. They don't go away. No one's rinsing it off. So you're literally drinking the pesticides if the tea is not organic. Because they sun dry. Like if you buy a non-organic tomato, you can wash off the pesticides. Mm -hmm. Tea, they are sun drying it. They're roasting it. They're withering it. But no one's rinsing off the tea leaves until you brew it and you're just drinking that rinse of pesticide. Yeah. Kind of crazy. So tea, when you want tea, you should always go for organic tea for sure. It's a, Even though with a tomato, they spray like the pre Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's inside. Oh, that's crazy. But apples the same then? Apples, there are certain things that are more dangerous than others. Huh. What's the worst? I think cucumber. Well, okay. Interesting. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Watermelon, something like that. Like, huh. I just went to a conference or a meeting of growers, and they are getting increasingly more strict about the levels of pesticides that are allowed just because we ship so much of the fruit we grow domestically mm -hmm. domestically to other countries um so like the eu uh, yep korea um they're just getting so strict about the levels and it used to be like so it's getting reduced levels lately yeah, because they're okay per million. now if your crop has more than two parts per million it's hmm. little, they're you know they're slowly realizing yep Hey, it turns out when this shit's in our food, it's not good. <laughs> right. No surprise. Hey. Yeah, so it's, well, that's good. Right. Of course. This year you applied this much per acre. Next year it's going to be slightly less. Right. Um, wow. I think we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Basically. And there's a lot of organic tea out there, you know, right. that you can find. I mean, obviously we have it, but um, you can, if you search for it, it's out there. But this tea tastes really good with chocolate, though, so feel free. Green tea and chocolate is pretty killer. It's like a sea salt, sea salt chocolate. Yeah, no, no mushroom chocolate here. So. <laughs> this one, I actually don't know. I think my wife got it at the farmer's market. So, um, yeah, let's take the whole thing. It's like easy. Yeah. yeah, totally. You know, you can always drink unlimited amounts and still drive home. There's a good difference. Um, 
And but yeah, the appreciation of aroma and the flavor and the notes and the aftertaste and the body, like with wine, you can do that with you know um, aftertones and undertones and what lingers and what's the texture here. Same thing with tea. And as part of our training, we do all of our staff that go into like, all right, you smell something, you smell flowers. What kind of flower? Is it lilacs, roses, daisies? Um, you taste roasted grain. What kind of roasted grain? Is it millet, toasted brown rice, barley? Um, it has a texture that's silky. What kind of, what kind of silky texture? Like actually licking silk, licking cotton, licking satin. What are you actually experiencing here? And how do you describe that? That's part of our, our training so that we can then better express, Hey, this is what this tea is all about to a customer. Cause people don't know, right? It's say, hey, I know tea bags. And that shows up in the people that are working at Samovar for sure. I mean, that's good to hear it. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, there you go. That's, yeah. You know, I think there is um, not nothing like with wine. Nothing is as strict or anything like that. But yeah, there are definitely restaurants that have like, oh, you know, Artisavalia will come over and advise you on what goes with your meal. But you, you can definitely pair it with your food in the same way. And um, it's good school. How about stories? You tell tea. Yeah, so I mean, we specialize in fresh tea. Mm-hmm. So tea picked and processed this season stored cool dry dark or in deep freeze um, out of the elements light heat and moisture are enemies of tea so once you open a tea you know don't keep it over your stove right keep it in a small container sealed up away from heat sources and that's how we store our tea in bulk we go through a lot of tea so we're you know keeping the tea fresh in that sense and you know most of the tea out there if you buy it in a grocery store how long has it been sitting on the shelf? How long has it been sitting in a truck, in a warehouse, prior to the warehouse, in a blending facility? You know, oftentimes you could be drinking a tea three, four, five, who knows, seven years old. I've been to warehouses that have 11-year-old tea, not fermented aged tea like a puer, but like chamomile. So then what happens? Well, you have no flavor. It's like just literally just, it's just like dried grass, grass clippings. And the way to get flavor is to artificially flavor it with oils or synthetic flavors which is kind of a bummer, right? It's, you could even have organic tea with artificial flavors and it's still organic. So generally we say, hey, look, get tea that's from small boutique companies, organic, in small batches, buy it in a small batch, ask them, you know, how do they procure it? And um, ask questions. You know, I think that in this day and age, transparency is a big deal. A lot of companies are proud to talk about that. And, and there are good tea companies out there for sure. You just have to be educated. And, you know, if you're searching for grass-fed meat or healthy fats, same thing can be said for tea. It's just that level of awareness that it's important to have. Yeah. Yeah. And you get shipped everywhere. I mean, I yep. Yeah. International. Iceland, Argentina. Ship all ship our tea to China. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. China. Yeah. It's really crazy. It's 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 pretty awesome. Yeah. So, totally. We sell a lot of chi, uh, chai. They buy it. Chai. Yeah. So it's, I think like. We've had a lot of franchise requests from China, like, oh, come to China, open, you know, your American tea room and all right, we'll look at it. And it's tricky, but, uh, you know, for now. Yeah. 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 Before we stop, yep. Movement. All right. I forgot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess Let's see, I guess if we go all the way back, I went to a public school and um, 
it was, you know, kind of rough school. And my parents were like, Hey, our kid's getting bullied and picked on. And the principal's like, all right, well, just teach him to fight back. My dad was like, oh, that wasn't what I was expecting to hear. Okay. Not a Waldorf school, you know, Boston public school, basically. And, um, they signed me up for an Aikido class, which is, you know, this uh, Japanese martial art where you're essentially using your opponent's energy back against them. A little bit, you could say, similar to Tai Chi, which is Chinese sort of soft style. And it blew my mind. The teacher was like a super badass guy, very, you know, spent like the first year just sweeping the floor, like kind of like the old school sensei, but amazing, you know, and never really got that good, but appreciated it and saw it as an art and respect and sort of diligence. And it just opened my mind up. And, um, that was probably my first movement practice I can remember. And then I was in high school and, um, you know, super skinny guy, picked on, tried track, hated it, sucked at it. And it was always just wanted to sort of have more control of my environment. And so someone suggested I try gymnastics. I think I was around 15 or so. And I found a local gym, really connected with the, the guy there. He became my mentor. And, um, he was a great collegiate gymnast, and I started too late to really ever become great, but I loved the training and just got really deep into high school and then college gymnastics. And so you know, ended up getting into collegiate gymnastics, which is an amazing world, you know, training for five hours a day and um, competition and all that. And then men's gymnastics is kind of a dead sport, though. It's No one really likes to see guys running around in tights. <laughs> and the insurance liability is too high, so football and basketball get all the money. But the experience of controlling your body through space was just so cool, coupled with the like the concept of progression. Like you see a crazy skill, you know, double back, tuck on floor, or uh, reverse hecht, you know, release move on a high bar. It looks impossible, like totally impossible, and it is. But you break it down to micro step moves that turn back to like, okay, can you kick up against the wall? And do a handstand. Start there. And now you can do it freestanding. And now you can do it swinging. And it just, it, the progression kind of blew my mind, like that capacity with a good teacher in place. And I really just became addicted to that concept of like setting a goal, seeing the progressions and getting there and tuning your body through, t you know, time and space. Um, so that was gymnastics. And then through college and kind of in and out over the years, then got into, um, karate, a little jujitsu, and then yoga, probably in my late 20s up and through, you know, I still practice. So Bikram yoga was the first entree in, in early days with Bikram, went to his like teacher training seminars and stuff. And he's an interesting character. If you've heard his stories, they're probably all true. But you know, hey, he, he did great things in opening up yoga to the mass market and, um, you know, creates endorphin rushes in a fairly safe space to do yoga poses and not be injured. Um, and then kind of saw my own path turning into more of a like kind of traditional, so Ashtanga yoga and going down that purest path and loving the feeling of moving in so many different ways and strength and flexibility and all of it intertwined along with the meditative and the chanting. Um, kind of did that as far as I could until I realized that it was either, you know, spend the rest of my life teaching it or opening a school doing it or like kind of just felt like it was flatlining in just the basic practice. Um, and what got back into like just body weight training kettlebells and kind of back into jujitsu and then jujitsu is it's amazing i have so much respect for everyone doing it and as a training regimen just became tricky for me in that i looked at the best case outcome being more skilled in jujitsu and like a badass guy who could do shit 
And the worst case outcome is like tweaking my little finger or my neck or my knee or my back and all the other crap that I would see people coming out with injuries. And I was like, okay, I can't really deal with all these injuries right now. I don't need to. So I, that kind of had to get put on the back burner. And one of my best friends who's a deep yoga guy, um, Jonathan Rickert, he's got an amazing podcast if you've ever heard of this guy, but um, I'll, reach, I'll introduce you to him. He's a really cool, innovative guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, I forgot. No, it's, he, he's, he's having another kid like yesterday. He's down south. Totally. But really cool guy. He told me, he's like, hey, I never heard of Vito Portal. He just said, I just respect what he says. I kind of listen to his hot tips. And he's like, hey, there's this guy, Johnny Sapinosa. I've been following him online. He's got some cool shit. I think you'd like him. I highly recommend you check it out in San Francisco. And I was like, all right, so I'm in. And that was the first day. And were you there on the first day? Or no? You were not. Okay, I was going to say, you're early on. Got there the first day, and I'm like, you got to have a horrible website, Johnny. I don't, I don't understand how to pay. I don't understand anything. I'm just here. I've never seen Edo before that. And so I knew nothing, but my buddy just said, you should check it out. And obviously, the rest is history. And, you know, it's opened my mind up. It's fun. It's so hard. It's frustrating. But the progression thing is like very consistent, like with gymnastics as well. Like he, he's an amazing teacher. And, you know, shout out to Ido. You know, I've never met him, but obviously that's, he's done great stuff. Yeah. And they're all done it. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But Johnny is an amazing, it's the same thing. You watch Johnny when he'll like, you know, demonstrate one of the locomotion progressions, like the, you know, the master level of it. And I'm just, oh shit, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. It's so intentional, so skilled, and so ridiculous. That this, like, that's part of why you love it. You're like, what, you know, so what is this good for? Like, all these newbie questions. Nothing. <laughs> I was like, just movement. Like, that's like, that's awesome. I love it. Like, what's this stuff called? Movement. Yeah. Okay, is that the trade? Yeah, movement. It's like, it's so hard to describe to people. It is, and I have trouble with it still. And yeah. I went to seminar with Ido and, um, or with Johnny in okay. 2015 in LA. Oh, wow. And that's when I really got kind of excited about it. What excited you? What was it? It was just different. And I'd seen a video of, uh, you know, like the viral video of Ido, like Lily crawling. Mm hmm. I was like, wow, this is really cool. You know, I've been doing CrossFit for a while, and I just wanted something different, something a little more. Yeah. Multi dynamic kind of. Mm -hmm. um, I like to like bend and arch and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. from yoga. Mm -hmm. um, so I just decided to give it a try. Yeah. And, uh, it seems like this endless path. Like you will never, you will never master it. You will never. Right. Yeah. No, totally. I and mean, there's no competition. Like the best people in the class, like they're still stuck compared to someone else, and the worst people are better than someone else. And um, yeah, there's like there's no belt, there's no tier. It's just just a progress, like a continual progression. Mm -hmm. It's um, so it's fascinating. No, it's I really I appreciate it. It's, and it's fun. And it's practice. It's, yeah. Like, I don't feel like I'm working out. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So I try to maintain that at home a bit. You know, it's I say the biggest challenge I have with it is that it's so broad. You know, karate, you like go home and practice your kata. You know, jujitsu, you roll with someone, practice the moves. Like gymnastics, you practice the moves on here. It's so broad. I'm often like, okay, I don't know what should I do today. Waves or tennis ball dribbling or like pull-up routine coupled with rail something or other. So that's like my biggest challenge with it probably. Mm -hmm. Like where to start when I'm on my own. Yeah, I do the same thing. And I think it helps when I started writing, like taking notes. Mm -hmm. And then I could almost just get the very worst case scenario. Yep. Just replicate. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. No, that's really, yeah, the hardest part also is like, you know, how do you build a bigger community? Because it's fun. So how do you find like-minded people to do it with yeah. outside of class? Like that's, Definitely. 
Yeah. Not like the schedule for class is super. <laughs> it's totally weird schedule. It's totally. Yeah, weeds out the riffraff. The movement practice. I would say. Yeah. Um, I just stand there and start doing the tennis ball dribbles by foot. <laughs> no, let's see. Um, I describe it as like a very multidisciplinary training regimen that includes gymnastics, yoga, martial arts, short twitch muscle action movement, sort of like tennis and ping pong like, like very short burst. Um, and what else? That's, that's kind of it. It's actually at a loss. So um, that's the high level that couples with like strength and sort of dynamic flexibility. Um, there's no real splits or back bends, but it's like actively using those muscles in those poses without full extension. And that, you know, it kind of makes sense. I used to definitely do splits and frog stretch and back bends. And that makes sense. Like, well, you don't ever do that passively. You should do that engaged. And so, um, um, I, just, I also, I guess I just describe it as an experiential workout program, like multidimensional that the head is not really involved. There's not a lot of thinking. It's just doing. And that's part of the best joy. It's, I, I think about it almost like, you know, we talked about plant medicine, maybe, or, you know, have history with that. Part of what's amazing with that is like, you're kind of decapitating yourself. It's not an intellectual endeavor in this reality. And so the movement practice is almost like going into ceremony where it's raw experience and you're just, you know, you're, you're in this medicine space where it's just movement as an experience, not an intellectual. And the figuring out is not like, oh, one plus one is three. It's actually, you look at something and now you're modeling it inside your body. Like there's certainly like you're using your physical senses, but it's not a lot of intellectual activity. So I find it refreshing and that it like stops that. Like so much of life in this day and age is figuring shit out and strategizing and thinking and getting from here to there. So it's refreshing to like, eh, cut that short, just experience. And I think, you know, so I guess part of what I love about it is similar to that plant medicine world, how do we live in the feeling state in raw experience? Because this world is so inundated with data and stuck in the head. This goes like, like below the chin, from the chin to the little toes, you know, or the Adam's apple to the little toes is where that movement practice lives. And that's probably what keeps me coming back. Yeah. And all ages, right? It's like, you're not just like buff CrossFit guys. It's like older women and young people and older people. And it's, it's very broad. Yeah. And Johnny has a great way of applying it to everyone and finding it for right. everyone. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have guys and they're like Brent who's... Super buff master. And yeah. Strong and, and skilled. And you know, all right, you look at him and you're like, okay, this is not class. not for me. <laughs> and so... um so yeah, so no, it's it's it, and yet there's people walking in off the street who are like, okay, you know, I usually do yoga. Mm -hmm. Try this, okay. Yeah. And even like the it's just very different the, the coordination stuff. I mean, today mm -hmm. I trained at a CrossFit gym I'm back home in the mm -hmm. gym. Mm -hmm. I did a big wood floor studio that hmm. never even entered. Okay. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and people can always see me through the glass, and then I come out to do my strength stuff later. I was like, what are, you, what are you doing? With like tennis ball or whatever? It's like, yeah. Otherwise, no way. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's it, right? What's the first thing that comes up with his stuff? Like, if, if, if you. Okay. Yeah. 
Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Just crazy. Yeah. Like a whole vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, you're totally right. That's yeah. You have to just do it to to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I know. I mean, it's the basket. What is it? The you guys are pretty good at what's this one? You get like a good solid couple seconds though. I think. I mean. <laughs> I can barely get one. I just, I, I, I was like, that is probably the most frustrating thing we've done. I think for me, I have one. I haven't practiced here much, but like, it just feels like I make zero progression. Like since day, I just don't feel it at all. Like, yeah, and it clicks. Really? So you just keep going. Really? Yeah. So you can feel it when you get it. Like, right, 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 right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Right. And it clicks. Yeah. I think the hardest thing is when you start class, the music comes on, there's no talking, and he lines up at the end of the room, and you have to just mimic it. Yes. I, I dislike that. I, I was like, oh, I'm so glad we haven't done that in a long time. Like the uh, dance step thing. Yes. God. And some of those, Channing and Britney, those guys just get it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I know. I suck. Oh, I'm okay at this. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Whatever. Yeah. He's got 30 minutes. <laughs> it's like, good luck. Yep. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Yep. Basically. Totally. Yeah. Right. You don't see too many people with kids in there. 
Yeah. Hey. Yep. Yeah, and a relationship, right? It's like, yep. Yeah, he's showing up. Yeah, that's a big deal. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. Mm. Mhm. Corporate thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, I would say a couple things. Um, could read the miracle of mindfulness. Awesome start. Simple, easy book. Found it transformative for me personally. That would be one. Um, question what is uncomfortable and why am I avoiding it with a gentle touch? So, um, you know, don't beat yourself up over it, but just say, hey, am I averting waking up early because it's uncomfortable? And I think beginning that practice of discomfort exploration is healthy. Um, asking what am I afraid of, right? Giving up this job. If I'm unhappy, fine. You know, it's fine to have a corporate job, but what is it rooted in? So those kind of questions, like what is uncomfortable? And often it's rooted in some kind of fear and just allowing the moment of reflection, whether it's early morning, late night with a journal. Um, but really, I would say making intentional time for reflection. You don't even have to meditate. That might be too painful, but just reflect, sit there with a pen and paper. Um, I would say looking at the concept of creating more space, like how do I create emptiness in my life? And often that equates to boredom, which is equates to discomfort, which equates to fear. I'm afraid of having nothing to do. I'm afraid of sitting here quiet in the room alone with stillness um, because oftentimes weird feelings come up. So I would say, how could I engage with my life? I don't have to change anything, but how do I just create more space, more moments of quiet, more space physically in my closet, more space on my bookshelf, on my desk. That is a practice I found as a healthy thing. Uh, more space in my waistline, right? Like how do I just eat less and consume less across the board? Um, another great book, How to Live on 24 Hours a Day. Really funny, small, short treatise by this guy, kind of like maybe turn of the century guy, who basically... Um, I blanked on his name, but he basically writes back in the day, I think it's before cars. He says, the typical man goes to work every day and spends his morning reading the newspaper when he could be reflecting on his commute to work, like, you know, like, you know, a public tramway or whatever. And then this man comes home after a long day, fatigued after a long day of work and sits in front of the fire, kicks up his feet, smokes his pipe, drinks his cognac and fetters the evening away reading fiction or other nonsense. 
Everyone has exactly the same number of hours in a day, 24 hours. We spend most of the same time at school or at work, sleeping, eating, and everyone has extra time that they squander. And if we look at that extra time, we can use that very effectively for reflection. In his mind, he says reading, po reading fiction is crap, so you should read poetry or personal development. He says poetry is the only creative thing you should read because it requires like introspection and sort of spiritual development. Um, but basically, this guy back in – before technology says people come home, waste their nights away by like in his time and day using media, reading bullshit, wasting the time, drinking alcohol, and going to bed early. And he says, look, you have like three or four hours between when you get home and before you go to bed that you can use for reflection, introspection, personal development, and growth. Three hours a day is 21 hours a week. That's equivalent to almost three working days a week we have for our own personal development. Everyone has 24 hours a day. That was this guy's book. Kind of crazy, really simple. Like it's like early school productivity personal development book, like really thin little book, but um, cool idea. And, and it's like, it's true. We're all tired at the end of the day and you end up watching a movie, having a drink, drinking tea, smoking weed. It's like just filling the time. And yet actually it's pretty rich time. Like, okay, you may or may not like your job, but okay, what do I do with that time before bed and after work? And um, so many people spend it just consuming media. And what happens if we don't consume that? That's, I would say like, that would be, it's uncomfortable because people are like, oh, I don't know what I would do with my time, but you know what? Keep that space open and something ripe might get planted there. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that. Like having quiet. Like totally. Like every podcast, if you think about it, is about selling ads. They want to fill our brains with their ads and their information. Am I really going to be a better person with more information? Or if I have a little more emptiness, maybe I'll have an idea. And more awareness of my surroundings. But, you know, I'm the first one. I, you know, I get it. It's like, hey, I'd rather talk to my dad or listen to a podcast than just sit here boring in silence. But it's amazing, like, what comes up when I force myself just to drive in silence. It's just, it's cool. You know, and again, it's like, it's a spectrum. Like, sure, do it not all the time, but try it. I think that's the main thing. Like, we're so accustomed to filling and saturating every waking moment. And it wasn't always the case. Like, there was a time when, you know, you're driving to work or whatever, and it's just quiet. Or you're walking somewhere. Now it's like people walk everywhere on their phone. Um, yeah, you look downtown and everywhere people walk, their heads are buried in their phones, right? Yeah. Right. No, it's totally. And that's normal. It's acceptable. And and yet, yet what happens if we have that like open space? Like I think that's like creating space. I think that's a uh, yeah. I would use that as like a mantra for for life practice: how to create space. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yep. Totally. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. 
totally. Or allow you to be open to what does bring you fulfillment. Like at least just keeps the, the, the environment static free versus, hey, you'll be happy if you go to Australia or you go here for spring break or you go here for rock climbing. It's like, hey, how do I just be open and receptive? And like that concept, I think the, I would say, how does one hone their capacity to listen with all of their senses? I think that's like a secret weapon in terms of like, if I can listen better, I can respond better. But if I'm not hearing, I'm just blah, blah, blah. And I don't like, I, I actually can't respond effectively. But if I can truly be so aware and listen to my surroundings, to my desires, to what you're really saying beneath the words, whatever, that's like a superpower. And so, um, yeah, to, if you're always filling the space, you can't hear it. Like it's just noise. And so to allow the quiet to, to exist and not just fill it, I can then begin to listen and like, oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. I never saw that. Huh. Maybe I can try that new opportunity or idea or whatever. Um, but our tendency is just to fill it up, fill, fill every nook and cranny. Like we, um, we recently rented an office at WeWork downtown just to have office space for some of our team. And there are small offices and big ones. Every single one of them is full of stuff. And I was talking with like our private events directors, like that's crazy. Like ours, we made a point of it's empty. You don't know if anyone's working there. There's a sign on the door and there's literally like, there's a one monitor and otherwise there's nothing in it. It's just like, you'd think it's an open workspace. I was like, this has to, let's maintain it totally empty. We don't need anything in here. Like your jacket and your bag when you walk in. Every single other we workspace around us, one seat, two seat or 10, full of like you know, tchotchkes and photos and coffee cups and monitors and file boxes. It's just crazy how, and it was like, we had an amazing, we just walked around the whole thing. It's like, everyone fills every nook and cranny they have. And even like people's desks was totally, they're totally full. And what is it as a practice to like maintain that sense of space and um, see what happens? Wow, I love that. Do you have, do you have like a morning routine? Or a ritual? Nice. You got the mind link. You're listening. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So there's like my aspirational routine and then the realistic one, which is probably like 60% of the aspirational. Um, but I go into the city a couple of days a week, um, wake up around, you know, 435-ish and try to commute in before rush hour. I would say 80% of the time in silence. I find that um, they say – so this is an interesting thing. So uh, in the yogic philosophy, there's sort of three – I just call them energy types, and, and I could have this slightly wrong, but it's basically sattvic, tamas, and raja. And they're characterized by this. Raja is energized, creative, intellectual, working. Think about that. Sattvic, spiritual, like ethereal, like kind of in space, beyond space and time. And tamas is sort of like down in the mud, like a little bit like I don't know, negative and viscous. So what does that mean? So you want to align what you're doing in the day with these energies. So it's actually aligned with like the weather and the sun as well. So Raja time period happens from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. When the sun is out, you work, you think, you exert effort, you work out, you be productive. The plants grow, blah, 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 during the sunlight, right? Kind of makes sense. Like you plow the fields, you do go to work in the day, nine to five, whatever. Six to six is sort of the typical time period of Raja effort. So, so 
it's not healthy to work at not work all night long. In other words, like in, in this uh, construct from 6 PM to like 3 AM is Tamas. And it's sort of like, it's both vice and sort of like bad things as well as like earth and ground and sleep. So sleep is sort of like that sluggishness, right? And there's foods that are tamasic or rajasic and is tied in with Ayurvedic. So tamas, if you think about it, like alcohol happens at night, they say that that's like a tamasic thing. Like it's kind of sluggish, right? It's not, it's not energizing, right? Alcohol. Sleep happens at night. That's tamas. And then they also say like vice, like gambling and like partying, all this stuff is also tamasic. Like it's not productive and it's not spiritual. So what they say is you should limit your time in that period being awake. Maximize your sleep period during that energetic phase from 6 p.m. to 3 a.m. So you have your, your earthing sleeping period from 6 to 3. You have your working from 6 to 6 when the sun is out. Then the last period is sattvic, and sattvic is spiritual development. And what they say is most people sleep through that time, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Most people never go there. If you wake up during that time, you are like sort of awake and mindful in the spirit zone. And that is like the holy hour, the spiritual time for meditation, yoga, journaling, reflection, creative brainstorming, whatever. And that's like the pure and holy time because the day is done. You've slept. You're totally recharged provided you had good sleep hygiene. And you wake up with that in that holy hour before the work period starts at six with the sun. And that's the only time you can basically have spiritual development. And most people sleep through it. So my aspiration is you wake up during that time and I'll make tea or coffee, herbal or caffeine, doesn't matter. And journal, like just sit down. Like it, it, So I would say the ideal is meditate first. So straight out of bed, you're going into meditation. So you're awake, but in this like kind of relaxed state. And then oftentimes a lot of crap comes up, what I'm going to do today and visions and dreams and hopes and whatever fears go to journaling after that. And it's like, I find it's just so nourishing to be awake in that holy hour, sitting here alone, just with your thoughts. When you know, like it's a little bit egotistic, maybe, you know, the world is sleeping away and you're just sitting here awake. It's kind of like, again, feels like a superpower, like, wow, anything is possible right now. And it's just very exciting. And it requires obviously creating a life around that, that you can sleep well. So it means you're obviously going to have to build in healthier habits, no caffeine late in the day or no alcohol. So you can sleep good. So you can wake up because you don't want to wake up tired. We know that sucks. Um, but that is sort of the framework for the start to a good day for sure. How to wake up in that holy period, use it for personal development, um, journaling or meditation. And then, um, you know, have a son, make breakfast. I like, um, I love someone recently gave me a book by Jocko Willink. I highly recommend it to all parents out there. The, um, what is it called? No, it's for kids. Yes. Yes. It's, where is it? I have it around here somewhere. I can't believe it is. Yeah. Mark. Oh, I got it. Totally. Anyway, my son read it. He loves working out now. It blew my mind. It's amazing. It's so crazy. I, it's crazy. I like, and I like it cause like it's, I read his other stuff, but this like, you know, to write a kid's book, you have to distill it down to the core, simple facts. And I like things simply and, um, and it forces you to really get his concepts and it's just beautiful. Like he, my son likes doing pull-ups. So I like to help him like, build a movement. I wish someone helped me as a kid. Um, 
and so yeah, I try to be as present as possible as a father and um and take him to school and connect with my wife and then um a couple of days a week I'll go to San Francisco, be immersed in my business, try to be present. Um ideally precede it with a good session with you guys and Johnny. Um clear the, the physical cobwebs and yeah, basically try to propel my company forward at the same time, you know, and and do immersive San Francisco work with people related to the business in San Francisco and then try to do creative work on my own out here, out here um home office and try to balance that a couple of days a week, you know, with each and um and try to be like I would say as effective and potent as possible when I'm working so I can totally unplug and not work. Like really try to have clear walls. Like my phone is always on. I'm available for any manager. Everyone knows like we were, if you ever call or text, you have to pick it up any time of day, but we don't do it frivolously. And that's our company culture. It's like an email, 24 hours to 48 hours response time. If I need it sooner, I'll call you or text you. Otherwise we really try to have like a strong culture of clear communication so that people can have focused weekends where they're not checking their shit. And, um, and I think that, you know, how do I immerse presently when I'm off and do the same when I'm on as opposed to muddy the waters and do a little bit of everything all the time. It's, it's less effective. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's a little bit of the, the weekly routine. And then, you know, at home, I'd love to do the, the practice, try to just, all right, let's dribble balls today. Uh, pretty much the same. I find that it's hard to do the get up early thing on and off. Um, it's much, you know, a couple late nights and the whole thing is thrown off. And, um, and you know, it's, it's interesting. Like people say, Oh, I want to wake up earlier. And it's, if you go to bed early and build in the basic healthy habits it's possible, but I would say the hardest part about waking up early that I've talked to some friends is, it's kind of depressing. Like there's a very quiet quality to it because everyone is in super deep sleep state that you're kind of like, is this real? Am I alone here? And it's like a little bit disquieting. And, and the best part I find is when the sun starts to come up and you're like, oh, I am with the sun. And, and it's just like, it's amazing. Like, fuck, like to be alive and watch the sun come up another day. How awesome is that? <laughs> you know, 10 would be like crazy late. So like eight or nine. Okay, yeah, yeah, nine is probably average. Um, you know, but again, like, I guess we talked about a lot of stuff and sort of systems and stuff. And I think maybe it's a youth thing. I don't know. Or I like to be militantly non-militant. You know, I'm pretty much vegan, except if it's a good grass-fed burger and really don't drink alcohol. But if it's a good, you know, it's, it's so easy to get up on pedestals and become fundamentalist and righteous. And I don't know, like, I guess my belief is like, how do we live with less barriers between us? And starting to build those righteousness, fundamentalist beliefs of like, I'm this vegan and labels just builds up walls and I think causes more harm than good. And so it's, um, yeah, how do you live gently and with connection and with principles for sure. Another great book, I would say Ray Dalio's Principles, freaking mind-blowing, highly recommend that one. Um, yeah, that's, that's a one principle, militantly non-militant. That is a good question. Not enough. Yeah, I know. I try to – I re yeah, I read books in weird ways. When I really want to read it, I go from back to front with a highlighter and I highlight everything and I try to go as fast as possible with one pass through. And back to front forces me to like just find the main concepts and not get caught up in the story. Um, and then when do I read? I guess any other spare moment. Yeah, off, early morning, I guess, would be the ideal. If, if it's a good three hours before the day starts, man, there is time for meditate, journal, read, tea, coffee, 
and you're just like energized with like it's awesome and it's free although if someone pays you guys 99 dollars, we can sell them a kit to wake up early (laughs) it's so crazy yeah let's talk it totally totally yep well first off good sleep hygiene habits starts in the morning right so you know say no caffeine after one o'clock no green tea no nothing uh i probably have chocolate probably like but i would i think small piece i would think like beverage caffeine like green tea you know everyone's different some people are not sensitive but you know experiment but um you know, pretty much no, I think about like, so obviously no blue screen. I don't even want to wear the glasses. It's like, I'm not that desperate. Like, so, so basically I, I, I want to, but I was just like, okay, I'd rather just not even use my computer. You're like, instead. So anyway, if you have to, so I, but so I would say, you know, you're thinking about it. Um, well, the funniest thing is I would just, as a side note, it's crazy because when I was in college, we would joke like, oh, I only need four hours of sleep. I had two hours. It was like a macho thing. And I think I overheard you guys or we were talking or something in the movement class. It's like, I got 18 hours last night. I got 12. I didn't need a steak. I, people are now bragging like, I got kick-ass sleep. Oh, my God. Like, I got this crazy drink. It's awesome. It's like, I am amazing. It's like, how many times a kid wake up? None. I got 12 hours. So I just think it's cool. Like this culture that you guys are propagating is about like, no, man, let's brag about sleep length. But so anyway, so yes, I would say, you know, no, I, so not only no blue light and no caffeine, but also like, how can I not ingest things that are going to activate my mind? So like no business books at night. I don't want to be thinking about new strategy. I want to like go like, so I literally have like by my bed, like Arabian, whatever, 10,000, a thousand one Arabian nights, like kind of boring stuff, like classical Ulysses or something like that. So like how to enter that zone, um, try to do like play ukulele. I started playing ukulele recently. It's like something to do. Um, anyway, anything that's analog as a habit before bed, I would say, um, go to bed around nine. Uh, wake up at three. I have an alarm clock. I tried using sleep cycle. I like that one a lot. That wakes you up. It's a, it's an app within 30 minutes of your target. It, it listens to your, um, your breathing, but it doesn't work with like, I also have the phone that does like the automatic screen time turning off for some, it somehow shuts that thing down. So I use a regular alarm now. Um, the, just the regular. So I both have an alarm clock. And I vacillate. I don't want my phone on EMFs all next to my bed, but there are times. Like I've had literally like this week, there was a break in, and someone had to call me just to like tell me, "Hey, police or whatever." So I vacillate. Like, okay, I, we do have a landline here. I thought of just saying I'm moving it upstairs or whatever as a possibility, mm-hmm. uh, instead of having my phone on at night. Like you're motivating me to like take that more seriously and see what happens. Yeah, I would, I would love to like, un- and I want to get that you know unplug your Wi-Fi and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's cool. No, I think you just for know which who's important. That's awesome. Totally. That's cool. Um, I go through cycles. That's like that's the target. So like the three to six time would be kick ass, and then I would work out from say six to seven, and then you know there for my family at seven o'clock. So that's like. 
that's what I said. Sattvic time. That's like you, if I'm operating like optimal, three to six. That's like three hours. Hour of meditation. Um, basically, hour to, hour of journaling, hour of reading. That's three to six. In the evenings, I'm almost like forcing it. Right. Yep. Yep. Really engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Right. And if you think about it, it's like you just so like in other words, the worst thing to do. You go to bed having watched and read media. You sleep with a good dose of you know late caffeine or alcohol, blue light, and mental stimulation of an action flick or the news. And then obviously right before bed, you're checking Facebook and Instagram as you doze off. Then you wake up. Yeah, then your router's buzzing you all night long. And then you wake up, and what do the people do first thing? Guaranteed, before they see their partner, they check some shit. Email, news, Facebook feeds, whatever. Like, and then you're just, I don't know, it's, it's a slave. It's reality. You're reacting, yeah. And and giving them your data when you wake up, when you sleep, so they can send you shit that works better. And then what happens? We know the studies all show increased usage of all that, lower sleeping and increased social media, increased depression, increased alcohol, increased antidepressants. And like, God, is that a life? Like, I don't know. I feel fortunate to be surrounded by you guys like you who this is normal. And every so often you forget, like, this is not normal. We're weirdos. And I, I forget because I only talk to people like you, yeah, yeah. right? So it's like, yeah, like I, it's kind of like, a, yeah, oh, you're right. People actually watch movies before bed and read the news and, and drink alcohol and sleep horrible. That's the norm. Nightcap, right. And, and again, like I'm not opposed to it. Like whatever. I had a cocktail last night with a friend. Like I haven't seen him. Like I don't want to be so rigid to put up walls. Like that's a, it's my own journey, right? And everyone's different, but it's, um, yeah. How do you live with balance and, and connect? And, um, but yeah, it is a crazy world out there. It's, uh, especially like as a new father, right? Like how do you create boundaries for your child, right? You're protecting, but also support them so they can go their own way. And, um, yeah, it's figuring it out. It's, it's, um, yeah. And Right. I was trying to for I was trying to be like, oh, let me do it. And he would jump in and be like, you're doing your movement. My wife was like, you know, they're like laughing. Is like they they totally mimic me, right? hilarious and then joanna's been to our class a couple times and she's like i know i'm gonna do a handstand like how people just walk over and she thinks like they're showing off like this feels good you know i know i'm gonna be buff walks around like brand right pet guy it's they just on the outside it looks so hilarious right what we do there but um yeah it's not normal right like it's it's yeah it's um yeah and yet who's happy being normal that's the other question right like Man, I would say being the principal, if you were to think about like life principles, be bored more. Like be a boring person even. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't really blast. Like I kind of want to use social media more and engage and I don't know, like figure out like, ah, what's Gina doing? I don't know. But like like the notion of like life is so complicated. How do I just like be boring? 
because obviously it is actually stimulating and I'm, you're doing a lot of shit. So like as a, as like a reminder, like, okay, how can I be more boring? Come back to that. Like, cause that's actually where, like, if you think about like a seed going in the ground, nothing happens for a long time. It's pretty boring. And then one day bloop, you get a sunflower, but you don't see it during the boring part. All that like marinating gestation period. Like that's when the magic is happening. And so how to live like that, like how to like, live boring. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You, know, you, don't, you don't want to be on social media. I mean, I remember taking the time. I mean, I'm not like a super social media guy. Yeah. But I, you know, maybe like a half hour a day or mm-hmm. which is a lot. Sure. Um, being in group for a couple of weeks and not having access to that, it was so refreshing. And I, was hmm. just, I didn't miss it. Right. Um, and it just felt like there was a lot less going on in my mind. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah, it's like that. It's having the discretion, I think, is a big key. It's like, okay, it's social media. Yeah, it's okay. How is how much is too much, and how much is like a gentle enough amount to be connected to reality and what people are doing, but not to be bought into it. And that discretion, it's almost like an interpretation of that yogic sight, right? How do I see clearly? to navigate these things, which are like, you know, slippery slopes. Um, another great book, G- Digital Min- Minimalism, Cal Newport. He's one of my favorites. So he wrote Deep Focus. Deep Work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This one is like even, I like it even better. That's almost more conceptual. This is like super tactical. Another great one, Yeren Lanier, L-A-N-I-E-R. Um, two books, You Are Not a Gadget and You Must Delete Your Social Media Account Now. And then the last one, I would say Homadeus, which I'm sure you've heard, uh, Harari. He, that actually helped motivate me to do Vipassana because he does a 30-day every year. Yes. And this guy is like best-selling author, right? Like innovative thinker. Like, okay, I want to be like him. That's, ba- you know, okay. Move like Ito, think like Harari. Both Israelis. Hey. Oh, okay. You got to hang out with this guy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yep. 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 Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Yep. And it works? How is it? How has it changed your habits? But you can still get to it though. And that barrier helps. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Do I really need this? Maybe not. Yeah. 
Yep. Wow. Yep. That's cool. Yep. Yeah. Built in. That's cool. They finally did something good. Yeah. The other one I like super tip actually is you on your iPhone, you leave your phone in permanent do not disturb, allow calls from contacts. And all those junk calls everyone gets disappear. It is so awesome. Highly recommend it. I, I, does it work? Don't they just call once though? It's like some kind of generating system. Or... Okay. Oh. Yep. Yep. Okay. Hmm. Yep. 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 Okay. Yeah. They're basically all spam calls, right? <laughs> it's like... Yeah, exactly. But people are bored. They want to actually pick it up, I think. It is. Who's it going to be? Totally. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It might be there. Totally. Winner of a year supply of tea. Hey. It's a, yep. Yep. What else do your readers want to know? What do you think your your listeners are like interested in? That's. I mean, this is. <laughs> we touched a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Sattvic time. Sattvic. S A T V I C. Yep, like the holy time. Yep. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's all right. Yeah, a third of it. Sorry. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I think it's logarithmic too. Like, okay, you wake up at six or seven. Okay, it's pretty good. But like that. Even five, it's like massive. And then four, it's even like double, you know, like exponentially. Yeah. Oh, hardcore. Okay, yeah. I make, yep. Yep. Totally. Yep. So absolutely do not check anything. So going from sleep state to hydration to meditation. So wake up and 20 ounces of not hot but very warm, warmed water with an um, eighth of a teaspoon Himalayan pink salt, a tablespoon of Bragg's apple cider vinegar, and half a lemon juice. All the, you know, the, what do you call that? The, uh, it's like electrolyte. You guys are into that one too. Same thing. Anything else added to it, or same? As, all right, nice. Yeah. Okay. 
Whoa. What happened? You just get Okay, yeah, yeah. Totally. But I do find you pee less with that concoction than pure water. You totally. Yeah. Totally. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, then, I would say one of the most entertaining things I do, so I do drink coffee. I, I, if I make coffee, I use Johnny's um, from our class, his recommended, you know, espresso beast took me a year to get this espresso maker, this manual hand grinding espresso maker with nine PSI ridiculous. But I like the ritual of boiling the water and making the espresso and um, grinding the beans by hand. I have to do it inside a towel because the grinding sound wakes up my wife. She's like, I fucking hate the sound of coffee grinding. <laughs> it's like at 3 a.m. Like that's pretty bad to do. So I wrap it in a towel. <laughs> it's like yeah and so um make an espresso and i find it very entertaining to meditate after i get caffeinated just it's just kind of like you know a kind of adulteration but you're sitting there meditating and you totally feel it oh i feel the caffeine coming in it's coming in oh it's it making my mind go here and there it's just very like it's kind of a it, whatever it's a kind of wacky thing to do <laughs> really yeah it does that's the totally it's too much here and but you can be so sensitive to it it's pretty cool um right doesn't even phase you um or i like to make matcha early in the morning with a whisk that's really cool like green tea kind of green tea soup sort of then i would meditate so you know more sitting meditation vipassana style so Roughly, you know, between 30 minutes and an hour. Um, and Vipassana basically is a specific style, very simple, where you are scanning your body for any physical sensation. That's basically it. No secrets. You're just looking for like, oh, my little finger is itchy. Huh. I feel the blood in my right armpit. Hmm. My foot is very cramped. Oh, it's not going away. It's not going. Oh, now my nose is itching. And now my eyebrow is itching. Huh? The back of my head is feeling fuzzy. You're just looking for any sensation. It's up and down. It actually is up and down. And so you're scanning head to toe, actually any way you want. So once you go to the toe, you go back up. And if you were to think about it, they say it's sort of like if you were to take your whole body and whether you're like in sitting meditation, you dip it into water and the sensation of how the water goes up your whole body and then pulling it back down and then keep going. And then you can go left to right. You can go top to bottom. You can go in to out, out to in, like the sort of advanced. You start with what they call anapana meditation. And if my mind is agitated or I'm just have too much going on, I can't do the scanning. I just can't get focused enough. The anapana is like the basic style of vipassana where you focus just here between you, the triangle of your nose and your like mustache area. And that's it. And if all you can do is focus on the tip of your nose or even the feeling of the air touching your nose hairs. There's always something you can feel. The feeling of my whisker curling in the humidity. The feeling of my saliva between my teeth and my lip. There's always something. And you just go, you drill in, just keep going. And your mind wanders and whatever, but you just focus on that sensation, sensation. And as you can just be present with that sensation, it can basically, you make it bigger. And it's like, oh, around my eyes. Oh, top of my head. Oh, and it's almost like you're like, wrapping your whole, soul, whole self in this sensation. And then you're just scanning. It's like you're going through an MRI scanner is basically what they say. 
and top to bottom. And just, and so that's the skill. Like that's this, all right, that's your morning workout, the meditation for trying to achieve equanimity. Like that is the goal. And if you notice the stuff, you're not reacting. And that's, that would say that's the big lesson in it. So much of life, we just react. Someone cuts you off, you react. You get an email, you feel this way. You see that in a store, you want to buy it. You Like boom, 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 just slaves, like reacting, afraid, crave, afraid, crave. And so once you begin to watch the fears and feelings and cravings, you don't react. You may want to react and you may still react, but there's that little tiny window of choice. It's like, huh, I don't need to, or yeah, I will scratch it. And that becomes this like amazing level of a power that like, okay, I'm out in the world. Normally I would react to this person with this thought or this saying at work with the public, with your child, with your spouse, parent. And that's like, wow, I'm a slave to my reactions. And maybe now I'm not as much of a slave. And that is like the state of equanimity that's possible. And so it's just a workout. It's, it's literally, I would say way more impactful than a physical workout. The physical is like great, but man, if the mind is like, yeah, the begin to rein that in is amazing. And so, um, so that early morning session. So ideally you meditate in the morning and at night, just like brushing your teeth as important, if not more, Uh, you know, probably two in 10 times I'll do an evening session, but I would say with friends, it's, it's freaking amazing. And probably one of the most profound things to do socially as like with close friends or strangers to meditate together because to be in that state of just silence, it's kind of boring. There's nothing special, but it's so weird and not normal because we're always in a state of creating and talking and thinking and engaging to be awake and not sleeping. And with other humans is like a very intimate experience. And so we've started to do it. Like if we have a dinner party, all right, everyone, 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Ah, let's do 40. Okay. Let's go crazy. It is so, it's so crazy. I actually, I just, I forgot about that. And like often, like not usually at the end of the party, but oftentimes at the beginning or like my parents were over and like, okay, let's do a meditation. Okay. And so it's amazing though. It's like a extreme opportunity for connection and deepening relationship. And just what is, you know, why just connect with the talk and the voice? Why not connect by spending time together and nothing needs to be said. You know, it's like ceremony, plant medicine, but with nothing. Just naturally, what's there? So then, journaling. Open it to a blank page. Literally, um, I would say two lists. Gratitude list. Just to start. Like so, there's three things. Gratitude list. Just brain dump. What am I grateful for? Intentions list. Sort of like to do list, but broader. And then um, I'm a big fan of morning pages concept from the artist. Uh, it's called the, I think it's called the Artist's Way, a book on creativity. Recommendation is that you write every single morning three pages nonstop of anything. And if you can't think of anything, you write, I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything. I can't. And you keep writing until something comes. What's that? The, yeah. And what happens is it empties, like they say, it's like emptying the vessel. And you're not attached to it. Like, I'm writing stupid shit. I'm writing stupid. I'm writing. And then you'll find like, oh, your heart opens up and you're writing about an experience you had as a kid or what you want to do today. 
and it's basically so unimportant you could tear it out and throw it away. It doesn't matter. It's and it has to be with pen and paper or pencil. Can't be typing. There's a, like a sort of like some kind of like a systematic difference that happens internally. They say with handwriting and going from thought to actually the movement to ink to paper. Um, and it doesn't matter if you can read it, if it's messy, whatever. You go three pages nonstop, and sometimes it takes seven minutes or 17 or an hour where it's like, I don't know what I'm, it's kind of painful, honestly. And I don't do it every day, but that's again, like optimal day. So the journaling side is intentions, gratitude, and then, um, then this sort of, uh, they call it the morning pages So three, it has to be three and like a typical moleskin notebook. Like it's actually, it's a lot of content. It's kind of tough to do, but it's a very interesting exercise. And then what I feel is you're very energized and emptied at the same time for whatever the day brings and the intentions are there. How do I be more patient and effective and get these three important projects done that will create more customers or users or make more money or profit or whatever? Like, you know, tactical shit too. And like analyzing, you know, what are the metrics? How the business do based on whatever performance criteria? Um, Yeah. Go ahead. I'm wondering, so you meditate first thing out of Mm-hmm. Is there a reason for that? Because for me, it's typically like, like... After the caffeine, I would say. Okay. Uh, it's closest to sleeping. And it's like, it's you're awake. But it's it's like the, the journaling and all that is kind of the thinking stuff. Begins to like go down that rajic. Like the doing side. And so this is still in that holy space. Like you're not sleeping. You're recharged. But you're also not doing anything. Doing anything. And so it's like, okay, I'm awake. I'm alert. I'm practicing just being non-attached, non-reactionary. And now I'm going to start going down, okay, the tactical shit. Like, all right, what's my day like? And what are my intentions? And um, how do I be effective? And how do I empty all like the, you know, my to-do list? Like, I don't like everyone else. My to-do list is just churning. And I, you know, everywhere I go, I have a paper and pen for sure. Bathroom, like I have these notebooks everywhere, in my car, in every single bag, like everywhere I look. We got these little drink tea ones for sailor. <laughs> but like, I have so many little pocket notebooks. It's like a joke. And it's just because like, that's probably my biggest attachment. I kind of freak out if I don't have one. It's like, <laughs> it's like, hey, you want to write it down? And, and I just, I really don't like writing ideas in the phone because then you're like, oh, look, I got a text from someone. So, totally. Oh, that's interesting. So I'm a fan of the other book. I would say GTD. I'm a fan of David Allen getting things done. It's kind of old school productivity. But the basic principle is write everything down. Our heads are not meant for retaining minutia and lists are awesome. And the inbox concept is a big piece from that book. And the idea of an inbox is like, you know, your mail comes in, sits in an inbox. When your mail is scattered on your bedside, on your desk, on your kitchen table, you kind of go crazy. Like, where's that bill? And is that junk mail? All mail should go in an inbox. All ideas go in an inbox. Roughly once a, between once a day and once a week, empty the inbox. So I'll basically just go through this and some, you know, and literally just be like, okay, just try to cross things off. They may turn into an email. It may go into a li- another list, like a someday list. Um, and, you know, I use my notes app on my computer and I just literally have a list someday, you know, a website to check out, shoes to get, workout to try. And I probably never go there. It just kind of makes me feel good that I could put things on this list if I ever want to. It's kind of like shoving it in a file cabinet. Um, but I'm a big fan of the inbox concept. So like my email is one inbox. When I sit down, I go through email as inbox. Um, the notebook is the other one. 
And, um, and then I guess there's papers that come in, like mail and whatever random things that come in at work or here. And it's like a snail mail paper inbox. So having a set-aside discrete time in the middle of the day during this Raja period, right, where it's like productivity. I'm not going to look at my inbox. Like It would be like, I feel like it'd give me a stroke to open my email rolling out of bed at 3 a.m. It'd be like... I don't even know what to say. Yeah, shooting heroin like at a wedding or something. I don't know. Like it's like horrible. Like I gotta, <laughs> that's a bad analogy, but you know, it's like having pretty specific set times for what to do when. Um, I, I find is is helpful. Like having yeah. The other concept from that book is systems equal freedom. You know, and that's like Jocko Willop, right? Discipline. I mean, I'm just it's so true. Like that really is like there's um yeah. You paint the yellow lines in the road. So you can be free and have a conversation and eat a sandwich when you're driving, not freak out like, am I in my lane or not? And so how do we live with those yellow lines? Like, that's like a, yeah. It's not every day. Like that's like, yeah, sure. Uh, optimal day. We're mapping out like perfect. How do you conquer that? Like the, you know, I don't want to get what Joe Rogan would call like the interview. Yeah. Um, it's so you you have to have healthy sleep hygiene, alcohol, caffeine, which are all like contradictory to life today. So you have to first. It starts way. Be, if you don't do that, there is no chance of getting up. You, I like I've done it. You feel physically ill and you can't do anything. So I totally um, empathize with that feeling. I know it. It's both sleepy and physically ill to be tired. Like that sucks. So that's not going to happen. So it starts off with like healthy habits before then. Then I would say the upside is worth it. So knowing the richness that comes out of those three hours is like is worth the thirty seconds of suffering where it's like uh, I just want to go back to sleep. It's like actually it's going to be so freaking awesome. It's like you know, um, yeah, it, it, I, you just know the bounty awaiting you. So it's not it's not you know it's minimal pain like the, the pleasure outweighs the pain. But you got to set it up like otherwise it's hopeless and yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. It's not even be productive. Like it would be like a misunderstanding to think like, oh, I can get more shit done. I think I would say that like part of, you know, question, why am I here? I think a big answer is I am here to wake up. So how do I spend my life becoming more awake and whatever I can do to become more awake and escape this cycle of suffering, fear and craving, the better. And so at this moment, it's like scientifically proven with many traditions well before us, this is the holy hour. So that's one way to become more awake. Even if we do nothing, don't meditate, don't journal. It's like, all right, just, I don't know, just sit there. <laughs> like it's the holy time. So like the magic will come. It'll like work you. You don't have to actually do anything. Like, you know, I kind of paint my yellow lines in the road and these have worked, systems work for me and new things will come up. But like hydrate and yeah, simplify, get rid of stuff. And But just man, to be awake in that time is like a superpower. It's like, feels like you're just in the matrix or something. You got to try it. Recommend to your people, right? Like, 
What would you say is the biggest challenge your listeners have? If you were to summarize, like if you were to think about this genre of people, you know, the hundreds of thousands of listeners who are listening in, what do you think they face? It's like, I think people are beat up by time. They don't have a hmm. time. They're usually in some sort of schedule where they're, you know, they have an hour commute or whatever. They have to be at work at seven, eight o'clock. They're there all day inside. It's not something that's super inspiring. Their work. Yeah. Yeah, is that really real? Yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Yep. 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 it's all related. That's the interesting thing, right? If you're, I would say a lesson I've learned in these 48 years is people are consistent. So it's like most likely people's quality of food they eat is probably comparable to the quality of drinks, the quality of media. It's all kind of the same, right? Like, and so if you can start to change one, then you start to like, oh, maybe I should try organic or maybe I should have more hydration or have the apple cider vinegar. But like it's so consistent, like people are so consistent throughout, it's um, it makes it very sticky and intractable to get off that loop you're talking about. Yep. 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 What's the one habit someone would start with to begin that loop because it's like oh caffeine and alcohol i can't go to bed early i love my movies like what would you say is like for them just to crack into that space what would be the one habit they would start doing I think it's just the in terms of what hmm 
in the morning, get up and, and do whatever you have to do in the morning before we're engaging with that, because that's almost guaranteed to put entrepreneurs, whether it's for business, social media, news, whatever it is. Nothing is serving me what I'm supposed to be doing during that time period. I, I don't need that. On my mm -hmm. I, instead, I'm serving it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yep, yep. Any supplements you th you know of that help sleep? Like, would you take? Because the interesting thing was actually that's a good question. Like, I have the mindset like, oh, I would like to take supplements in the morning, but I've taken them in the past on an empty stomach and I get so nauseous. So then I was like, okay, I'll do it with breakfast, you know, eggs or whatever, and I'll take like, um, actually, that's a good question. I mean, fish oil, vitamin D, and some kind of collagen. That's what I have in my mind. I don't know what the best ones are out there, but I'm all ears. Uh huh. Oh, okay. Really interesting. Wow. Yep. Fish oil, multivitamin, all that stuff, though, or yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh. Wow. Okay. Huh. And of course you offer this. I got to get some. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Yep. Yep. Okay. Wow. Why banana? Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, weird. Okay. Okay. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. Yep. Huh. Okay. You're aligned with a banana. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. No, it's uh. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's powder or capsule. Or? Okay. Okay. The ones I've had before have stevia, and it just tastes nasty. I've had some different ones. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? No, that's awesome. Just tastes like fresh vegetables. It's like, yeah, that's cool. Right, right. I would say bone broth in the morning is awesome. My, I have the fortune my wife makes bone broth with chicken feet. If you've had that one, and it looks scary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you open that thing up and it's like claws coming out at you. But with, like with an onion and a carrot, and that's one of my favorite things. Like with a little salt or soy sauce or like beef bone broth, like my good friend gave me. Yeah. Do you, are you guys fans of any of the powdered stuff out there? Is there anything good instant bone broth? Like if you're traveling, or is it all BS? You're gonna make it the big batch you got for a while. There's nothing like the greens version of bone broth. Coming, uh, this weekend. 
Oh my god. I've never oh is that serious? Is that wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. Okay, I'm game. That's right, time to eat. Awesome. We're happy to host you. Yeah. Yeah. Samovartea.com. Um, yeah, find me at, in Samovar at the lounges. Happy to have tea. We do a lot of events. We do specials. Sign up for our email list. You know, we're not going to barrage you stuff. We'll teach you about tea. Um, we try to offer a sanctuary of a place to go to have a break and healthy eating, drinking. And um, if you're not in San Francisco, we'll send tea to you. So we're uh, building out some, some cool subscription stuff out there and trying to, uh, yeah, get you tea so you don't even have to ask for it or a bowl of green tea and all that. And, and um, yeah, we love doing tea and I'm psyched to have connected with you guys. And thank you for the chance to talk. Yeah. My pleasure. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Take care.